does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Kevin, I like it, man. You got on the, the old school Pacer hat to celebrate the win last night? A little old school action. Had to throw it on there. Halfway, right? We're halfway. <laughs> you are correct. Halfway to 30, baby. <laughs> Why are you right. shaking your head, Mark? Because you just, your you're violent swings of like up and down with the. the uh, it's called total. fandom. Mark, man, oh, Mark, man. Mark and I are actually in a therapy group about how to handle this, right? Kevin's a bit angry today. I believe I had a few lost. tweets oh. last night. Max to Harvard, Kev. I'm like, you bet. We are back on track to the Ivy League. Um, fun one last night, Jake. Seemed like inside of Cambridge Fieldhouse. When Steph Curry's going like that for a while, Boy. I think it creates quite the atmosphere. Uh, probably a little bit subdued, you know, when he exited the game, but Benedict Matherin made sure the fireworks stayed alive there late third quarter to keep the Pacers uh, with that lead, and then they finished it off in the fourth. When he, when Steph Curry, it, it was really interesting because he had 27 at the half. Um, <laughs> Just say that out loud again. What's that? Yeah, twenty-seven at the uh, half. Yeah, like I he, mean, he, like he, it's routine. You right? just said it so nonchalantly because he. Does You're these right. things. I mean, lightning in a bottle player, right? And before the game, it's funny because I had said, I go, you know, I'll bet, I'll bet Curry has like 29 tonight. And he had 27 at the half. Like, holy cow. And they they sliced that 20-point lead to 10 for the Pacers in like the blink of an eye. And then when Curry got hurt, it, it happened like, I mean, down kind of at the other end of the floor. But all of a sudden, like when he leaned over and winced, it was in front of near where I was sitting. And I'm like, Wait, I think Curry's hurt. And he was leaning over and like really favoring his left shoulder. And I thought, well, did he get a stinger or something? And he never, I mean, he left and never returned. Yeah. MRI coming today. Yeah. So sounds like he's going to miss multiple games. You would think, but he is, he is just one of those players that, I mean, listen, there's nothing I'm going to say that hasn't been said a thousand times about him, but you just never know when it's coming. Right? Yeah. Like Rick Carlisle kind of said that, right? Like it's just, you know that the avalanche is coming at some point. It's a matter of when and not if. Spurtability yeah. seems to be the word that Steph Curry kind of created. 38, 7, and 7 in 29 minutes for him. Uh, but again, I thought that Matherin stretch there, late third quarter, where it almost had the feeling with Golden State, again, slicing that lead to your point, Jake, so quickly. The Pacers were just hoping and praying some ball would go in the basket. And they were clanking three-pointer after three-pointer, and Matherin gets in the game. He scores nine points in a minute. Steve Kerr takes a timeout. And those were, I thought, a couple challenge three-pointers, the and one. And I tweeted after the game, I just think this is a part of what he's shown as a rookie, Jake. And he showed it at Arizona, but it's a whole different story showing it in college than the NBA that I think has me believing that stardom is possible. Look at what he's done against these big-time opponents. The defending champs last night, 24. He makes the offseason comments about LeBron James. He's got 23 in that one. Uh, At Brooklyn earlier this year, probably one of the bigger games of the season early on, he's got 32 in that one. Denver, at home, I mean, that's, that's a quality opponent. He had 30 in that one. You know, sometimes you just don't see rookies rise to the occasion like that. The dude's 20 years old. 
zero fear whatsoever. And when the Pacers needed him the most last night, he did his own little Steph Curry impression and scored nine points in a minute. And I thought that stretch was the difference. You know, the thing about the Warriors, who are now below 500, by the way, but the thing about the Warriors that makes them so challenging, and you see this a lot with, I went to the game last night and was sitting next to Stephen Holder. He he made this point, um, which was a good one. He said, you know, it's like the NFL when a team is playing against the Chiefs and they start accelerating their pace offensively because they're trying to keep up with what they know Kansas City can do. And the same happens with the Warriors, I think. Teams kind of get off kilter because you know how quickly Golden State can score. So you are now taking probably ill-advised threes or sh- you know you're you're accelerating shots within your rotation because it's in the back of your mind that the Avalanche is coming. But a big win for the Pacers last night. A good game for them. They've got New York now. Do they play between now and Sunday, Mark? Do we know? Yeah, Cleveland Friday. Cleveland, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at Cleveland. So that'll be the first time so the they see the Cavs. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a five o'clock tip, by the way, on Sunday. It Mark, is. If you, yeah, okay. I was gonna say double check that for me. But yeah, I have not seen Cleveland this year. Obviously, you look to be in line to get their first round pick. Cleveland currently third in the Eastern Conference. Donovan Mitchell has been outstanding for them this season. But the Pacers moved to fifteen and fourteen on the year. The Golden State Warriors are two and thirteen on the road now. Wow. Which is weird because half of their road games are like home games. Yeah, you know every every. Yeah, I did see every sub ten year old kid in visiting cities is wearing a Steph Curry. Yeah, it's like the Beatles coming to town. We we did have a few crying caramel pups exit the arena last <laughs> night, so I am thinking about them on this Thursday morning. A good Thursday morning to you, Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton. Thanks for tuning in uh, today. We'll have Scott Agnes to chat about last night. Ross Tucker, NFL analyst who will be on the radio call, national radio call, coming up this Saturday for Colts-Vikings. We'll get a little bit more of a national view um, from him on that one. Um, I think it was noted yesterday, Matt Taylor was on with JMV. Uh, no Rick Venturi on the call this Saturday. Rick a little under the weather. Um, so it'll be Joe Wrights with Matt Taylor heading up to Minneapolis tomorrow as the Colts again kick off at 1 o'clock on Saturday. You catch any of Ryan Walters? Press conference yesterday, Jake? Uh, I did not, actually. I mean, I read about I didn't see him, right? He's um, a pretty stoic, mild-mannered individual. Yeah, I, I think the, you know, the real, to me, the real, what's the word I'm looking for? Measuring sticks, the wrong word. The one thing that I, I liked was the, the reaction that you could kind of see players having towards him when he first arrived. But yeah, a little more just kind of straightforward, right? Uh, yeah, there's a a quiet confidence, and I know the quote won't necessarily indicate that. We'll play the audio a little bit later. He was made it very clear that he thinks he's the best defensive coordinator in the country right now. Uh, not just going to give up those duties uh, to anybody. So I'll be curious to see the makeup of his staff. I did like his comments about the offensive side of the ball. I thought he has a pretty good understanding of what he's walking into. Um, he was a high school quarterback, so I think that kind of helps. Um, made it very clear he <laughs> fully understands what the quarterback position not only means to Purdue, but means to the game of football. Um, and his comment was basically like, I want our offense to look like what I don't want to be defending on Saturdays. Basically saying as a defensive coordinator, I know what kind of strikes fear 
into me, and I want to make sure that our offense looks like that. I I don't know if this is like age bias from me, Jake. And again, Ryan Walters, 36 years old. But I tend to think a younger coach who, again, was a quarterback in high school and has grown up exclusively in college football, I, I'd i like to think he can kind of – he gets what offense means. You know, he's not some old, crusty defensive coordinator. It's like, hey, we're going to stop the run, and then when we get the ball on offense, we're going to run it, we're going to ground out the clock, and we play in the Big Ten. And in the Big Ten, it's bad weather, and we just run the football. I don't get the vibe that he's going to be like how Illinois' offense I right. felt like was. So I, in other words, you don't need to be Joe Tiller, but you need to be aware of how Joe Tiller played. Sure, sure, yeah. And I, I think, again, publicly, his comments at least said that. I did find an interesting um, note that he made yesterday that he thinks Purdue is in the upper echelon in the NIL world within the Big Ten Conference. You I know it's another, another name for upper... <laughs> I mean... Yes. Yeah, it is. He feels like <laughs> Purdue could be in rare air mm-hmm. in the NIL world, which I guess is good news to Purdue fans. And and that you know caught me a little bit by surprise. I, I don't know if there's you know how much the numbers would indicate that, but you know, Kevin, I had lunch yesterday uh, with a buddy of mine by the name of Les Morris, great guy, and he he teaches a class at Indiana University strictly on NIL, and it's about like the legalities of NIL. We were talking about it yesterday, and for those that are unfamiliar, I can't imagine there are many, but for those that are unfamiliar, maybe we're using the term too loosely, name image likeness. That is the basically you know, what is allowing college kids now to profit off of their name, their image, and their likeness if they are college athletes, which was prohibited by the NCAA forever. And now, of course, the Supreme Court has said, no, that's okay. You know, Les was telling me, he's like, listen, there are, by the spirit of it, what it means is if there's a field hockey player that goes into the small cafe in his college town and the cafe owner says, hey, if I put a picture on the wall of you eating your Reuben sandwich in here, then I'll give you a free Reuben sandwich every Thursday. Okay, cool. You know, that, that's kind of the spirit of it. But then you have other collectives, as it's called, which are basically, for lack of a better term, huge checking accounts that these athletic departments are coming up with where players are getting an agreed-upon amount of money to then, if they go to that school, have to then fulfill certain obligations, appearances and whatnot. And, I mean, you're getting some players, Kevin, at the upper echelon that are getting six figures, right? I mean literally hundreds of thousands of dollars and then you have other players that are getting you know a free pizza a week i mean it's so across the board but it's kind of the wild wild west i don't know that anybody from an athletic standpoint really has a firm grasp and i think it's constantly evolving so for purdue to talk about where they stand with nil and for i'll tell you this much it's my understanding you know indiana football for example last year had a higher nil at I mean, I guess nobody knows this, but their collective or their checking account, for lack of a better phrase, my understanding is that Indiana University for football was on par with other Big Ten schools, excluding Ohio State. And Purdue's was not at that time. Well, I Because it's a constantly evolving thing. Correct. Indiana, not a lot of return on their investment. Correct. Right? 
Do you really think Purdue? Do you really believe that? I guess, like Indiana and Michigan are in the same NIL level. No, no, no. I'm, or do you think Purdue's in the upper echelon, like Ryan Walters said yesterday? Again, I think it, Purdue may be now. What I'm saying is, Kevin, I think it's one of those things when it comes to there. There are two different schools of thought here on NIL. One is, are you on par with your competitors in terms of your vision and understanding of it? And then the second is, are you on par with your competitors in terms of the finances of it? You ha- you can't have the second without the first. And there are certain schools that I think were late to the party. You know, Indiana was ahead of the game with the NIL stuff as an athletic department. I think Indiana saw it coming down the pike and had an infrastructure in place. And so in the very, very beginning, I think that Indiana's athletic department was probably ahead of a lot of schools. I have heard definitively that in the first year of eligibility for it, that Indiana's football NIL had more in place than Purdue at that time. Now, that's not to say right now, because it's constantly evolving and changing. You know, Ohio State had $13 million or something right off the box, right? But it's constantly changing. It's constantly evolving. Clemson was way behind. You know, Dabo Sweeney, like, didn't want anything to do with it, apparently. And 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 it was like, hey, this this is the necessary evil. If you're a college coach, you better you, you either sink or swim here, right? Sounds like there are some questions about who's going to play in the bowl game for Purdue, even with a guy like Aiden O'Connell, Charlie Jones. Um, so we'll have to kind of wait that out. Obviously, Walters will not be involved in the bowl game. He's going to leave that to the staff that is still around, kind of the remnants, I guess, of that staff. Sounds like Drew Brees might have a little involvement from a bowl game standpoint. Um, I don't know if just stability to try and maintain some of the roster or you know, kind of help out with certainly a skeleton crew. I did think Mike Babinski, the Purdue AD, had an interesting comment yesterday. Of He said that Walters, he feels like, is the highest potential of any uh, candidate that they went after. I'm sure age has something to do with that. Um, again, just the first-time head coach aspect. And I could totally see why he would say something like that. And maybe this is a good problem to have. The question that I have coming off of that is, if you believe that, does that mean if he all of a sudden comes out and has a couple of eight or nine win seasons, does he then move on to something else? And Purdue fans might say, well, Kevin, I don't care about that. If he gets us a couple of eight or nine win seasons, that's great. I'm fine. But is that a drawback with that? Again, probably a good problem to have. Uh, but I think that is a question that inevitably you have to have when you look at age, when you look at not a lot of direct ties necessarily to the Big Ten or West Lafayette or Purdue in general. Um, probably something just. How, to keep how many on. jobs? It's going to sound like I was asking. Uh, I'm asking this snarky. I'm, I'm genuinely curious your thought on this. How many jobs in college football would you say, excluding a coach's alma mater or like hometown? How many by stature are automatically a destination job? Yeah, a lot probably depends on what you're looking for, but I'd throw around a dozen. I mean, your your big ones, right? Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, Clemson, USC, Notre Dame. Is Notre Dame? Again, I mean, kind of depends on what you're looking for. There are certainly some drawbacks to being at Notre Dame. There's certainly a lot of pros to being at Notre Dame. Um, do you care about weather? That's, I mean, that's the thing, right? You know, what what do you care? Has it evolved now that we're kind of going down the path of two mega conferences? 
Does that exclude some colleges from that? Um, so again, we'll we'll try and get Ryan Walters on the show here coming up, uh, maybe next week. Um, disappointed in your uh, underdog story of the World Cup, Jake. I thought Morocco played pretty well yesterday, but we're not able to get it done. I, I was most bewildered, and I, I understand that it's because of FIFA going with like the original French spelling and pronunciation. But I I couldn't get past the fact that the little abbreviation in the top of the screen said M A R instead of M O R. Hmm. That that it, and I get that that's like a totally uh, ignorant and I assume that's some sort of language American thing standpoint. Yeah, it's the French. The in FIFA the or actually I take that back. Not French. It's the Arabic. The Arabic pronunciation and spelling is like M A R A C O, uh, and therefore in the international standpoint, it's M A R as the abbreviation for Morocco. But I really was hoping to see an African country, since they were the first in the semifinals, to be the first in the finals. I think that would have been cool. It seems like, and we'll talk to Greg Rakestra about this tomorrow, but in terms of mega matchup, this is pretty darn big. Argentina and France, Sunday morning, Lionel Messi going for his first World Cup, and uh, Kylian Mbappe, am I I saying that right, Mark? Mbappe. Um, Seems to be kind of the next future star mm-hmm. already has a world cup france is the defending champ um so i think from a headline standpoint this would have been right up there at the start of the tournament as must see tv for a final think of it like a brady mahomes matchup yeah Messi is the brady it's a good way to put it Mbappe's the young guy brady without the rings though yeah mm-hmm. you know who i didn't realize is an argentinian and this might luis scola this might excellent call Manu Ginobili as well. Uh, Gabriella Sabatini. Mm. You guys might be a little young to remember, but trust me, anybody of my age remembers the Sports Illustrated photo of Gabriella Sabatini. Are you hoping for a crowd shot on Sunday? Let me tell you something. If it's like 1988 Gabriella Sabatini, hell yeah, bring it on. Uh, Colts Vikings coming up Saturday at 1 o'clock. Jake, you know who the happiest man will probably be in that building on Saturday? For the Colts Vikings game? Colts Vikings in Minneapolis. Get a 1 o'clock kick, NFL Network, Fox 59, locally. The happiest man in the building. Uh, And I'll give you a hint here. Happy because of what the Vikings are doing and what the Colts are doing. Hit me. I was going to say Mark Boyle, but he's basketball, not football, but a Minnesota native. Ryan Grigson. Oh, you're right. That's a really good call. He's working. What is his title with the Vikings? Boy, Mark, you'd have to look that up. I I would guess some sort of player personnel, VP, director. I think he's like number two or three in line up there. Good for him. He's the senior vice president of player personnel. Sounds right. First year there. Got a very outdoorsy beard. He always has, right? Yeah. I mean, this one's a little mountaineer type of beard. Lumberjack. A ten and three Vikings, of course, four, eight, and one Colts. Um Do you think anyone wants to hear how the Colts can still make the playoffs? Uh that'll take twenty minutes to explain, won't Jeff it? Jeff Saturday. Yeah, shockingly, it doesn't take that Jim long Ursay. to explain. They've got to they've got to basically win out and they need somebody to lose like two games, right? Well, that would that would seemingly be pretty realistic. Yeah, you gotta win out. Need the Jags to lose one and the Titans to go one and three. Can they 
I, I'm embarrassed to ask this without even. I'm going off the top of my head here. Is it division or bust for them? I think wild card is still in line, but yeah, it's probably more division is your best route, most realistic route. And when I say most realistic, we're talking like probably the chances of me starting for the Pacers. It this is season. impossible for the Colts to finish over 500 this year. That's amazing. Eight, eight and one. Right. Whoever would have guessed at the back in September, would you have ever guessed that heading into Christmas we would be in a situation where the Colts would not be able to finish above 500 for the regular season and the Pacers would already be above 500 at that point? Not that they're going to finish there, but right. I'm just saying. Yeah, it is quite the storyline if you would have told somebody that earlier in the year. And it would have to be pretty much division because the Patriots own the last wild card spot at seven and six and then the chargers and jets are both seven and six as well so you'd be having to battle right. three teams as opposed to just the titans i i will say when you look at the draft order and again the colts right now are in seventh at four eight and one if the colts happen to win like two or four down the stretch they could <laughs> fall it'd be so colts wouldn't it very quickly in the draft order jake if you look at it right now again the colts are in seventh at four eight and one the the next seven teams behind them are all five and eight. Let me tell you what, Kevin, what screws them. So one or two wins, and those five and eight teams right. continue to lose, you could drop in a hurry. And I, and I get that, obviously, more people, I think, are worried about that than me throwing out those playoff chances. What hurts the Colts, I think, in a big way, is the fact that if they want to move up in the draft, if they're in a situation where they have to move, move up in the draft... I'm not saying that they'll want to do that, but if they want to, they don't have a whole lot of draft capital that anybody would be interested in other than picks, which is the one thing that Chris Ballard covets more than anyone. Yeah, they don't have their own third-round pick this year. They traded that for Nick Cross last year. They do have Washington's third-rounder. Of course, that looks like it's going to be a little bit deeper into the third round than what originally was thought tonight thursday night football 49ers and seahawks from seattle is brock purdy gonna give it a go well he is purdy i think so isn't he i mean he played well enough that i thought he's banged up i that's yeah because wasn't there discussion that is it like, ribs i thought it was yeah he was, i think he was very limited yesterday in their practice so i think they which I can't Josh imagine. Johnson they have, I believe. Josh Johnson, former Josh Colt. Johnson, who just is on every team. Backed up Matt Hasselbeck for a couple games. He and P.J. Walker just moved from every weekend, right? I mean, Josh Johnson's literally played for what? Ten teams? It's got to be like that. I get confused with that Jack Johnson. Isn't that a singer? Yes. Yeah. I believe so. Bubble don't, toes. Don't think they look anything Excuse alike. It's the name of a song. <laughs> okay. Um, morning check down coming Sounds up. Sounds like a nickname oh you have God. for Ashley, Mark. <laughs> wow. Did you just Google that, Mark? Is that the, Was that the reason for that reaction? No. What he just said about Ashley. Um, uh, no. Do you want to hear Josh Johnson's laundry list of teams? New this York Jets. 20 minutes. New York Jets, one of them? Yes. Okay. Okay. He was a I'm just going to go in order. So he has, he has repeated. Here, here's his, his career history. Tampa Bay Bucks, San Francisco 49ers, the Sacramento Mountain Lions, Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bengals, 49ers, Bengals, Jets, Colts, Bills, Ravens, Giants, Texans, Raiders, formerly the Redskins, 
San Diego Fleet, Detroit Lions, Los Angeles Wildcats, San Francisco 49ers, Jets again, Ravens again, Broncos, 49ers. Holy hell. <laughs> That's awesome. How do you fit all that on a resume? That is that is pretty awesome. He's also the XFL passer leading, p- leading passer in 2020. Where did he play collegiately? Kevin, your uh, guess? A place I'd love to live. Uh, okay, I'm going to go San Jose State. Ooh, that was close. Really? That was close. Fresno State. You wouldn't want to live in Fresno. Denver. Mm, Jake was on the... I said... Jake was close. UC Santa Barbara. No. Cal. <laughs> it's clearly in California. San Diego. Oh, yeah. San Diego State oh, or San see, Diego? I think you played for Harbaugh now that I think about okay. it. Okay. Uh, when we come back after the morning check down, coming up in about 15 minutes, I've got a question for Kevin as to whether or not there might be something that Jim Irsay has in common with the defensive backs that he pays. We'll let you know what that question is. And then, as I talked about, or as we mentioned earlier, Scott Agnes, 8.30 this morning. Ross Tucker at 9. 9.45, Will Haskett joins us. Big show here on a Thursday. Good morning to you. It's Kevin and Quarry, 93.5, The Fan. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Last night at the Fieldhouse, Pacers, Kevin, 125-119 over the Golden State Warriors. Clearly, before he left the game with injury, Steph Curry was the show. He had 27 in the first half, 38 in the game. But it was the guy that decided that, in fact, just when you were starting to put away the bronze, Kevin, for the statue, Benedict Matherin decided to go ahead and have you start sculpting again, right? Yeah, we had a little vacation, you know, there post post Thanksgiving, but we are back working hard on said statue. Late third quarter last night, as things were definitely getting a little shaky, Benedict Matherin nine points in a minute to stretch the Pacers lead back up to double figures. They held on from there. 24 for Matherin off the bench. Afterwards, here was Tyrese Halliburton on the rookie. To be honest, like, if Ben makes a shot, you probably should give him the ball again. Because uh, he just scores... It always feels like he scores in bunches. You know what I mean? Like, if he makes one bucket, it feels like it's like four or five in a row. Um, and so, for me, it's like when I see him make one or two in a row, uh, you got to get him the ball. And everybody knows that. And so, uh, when that when that group came in in the second half that made a little – or the third quarter that kind of made a push a little bit to stop the stop the bleeding a little bit, uh, we, we just came together and said, hey, get Ben the ball. Just get out the way. So, can score in bunches. Great trait that Matherin has. Halliburton was terrific last night. Miles Turner, Jake, that was a huge sequence there late when it looked like Turner had a sixth foul, and they reviewed it, overturned it. He did miss a free throw there, but then he had that big block on Jordan Poole to ice that it. That block was huge. Uh, Draymond Green got to go to the locker room early and hang out and play cards with Steph Curry, right? Draymond Green, 0 for 3, 6 turnovers, and an ejection. Solid. It's a nice. dream on triple-double right there. Sounds like a fun night right Uh, there. Elsewhere around the league last night, it was Detroit over Charlotte. Orlando over Atlanta. Sacramento, by the way, 124-123 over the Raptors. Break up the Kings. Uh, Knicks, Heat, Blazers, Cavs, Wiz, and Clippers. All winners last night. Uh, World Cup, we've got a final. It'll be Argentina against France. Argentina has won two World Cups in their history. I don't believe anything since the 80s, though. Uh, for France, they are the defending champs. Um, so it would be the first back-to-back champion of the World Cup since Brazil in 1962 there. Uh, Morocco had some chances yesterday trying to pull off the upset, but France winners dose nil.
Would you rather visit Argentina or France? Uh, I would think Argentina. Mark? That's a good question. I'd like to go to both. I, I will go with France, though. Okay. Know, France seems a little too stuffy for me. Speaking of stuffy, that's what we were the last like three weeks. We might be feeling good now. In. Yeah, <laughs> feeling great now. Uh, tonight, now the time for it heads to this side of the yeah. room. Thursday night football. It's the 49ers at the Seahawks. Both those teams are in the playoffs, right? Seahawks clinging to a wild card spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be the Thursday night matchup. The Saturday slate of games outside of the Colts. Again, it'll be the Colts and Vikings at one o'clock. We've got three Saturday games. For the NFL, uh, Ravens and Browns at 4.30, Dolphins and Bills at 8.15. That's so, kind of a good game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some some decent matchups there, particularly Dolphins-Bills. Is snow in the forecast? Am I seeing that, Western New York? I, I mean, from now until March. It's a day March, that right? ends in Y, so yeah, probably. <laughs> seemed like uh, Miami or Tua is getting Beer's asked a gonna whole be lot about that. there out in front. Yeah, okay, probably. Tables will be broken. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is certainly a given. Uh, College basketball, as we had mentioned, this weekend, both Indiana and Purdue are off until this weekend, and it will be the Hoosiers in Lawrence taking on Kansas on Saturday. Purdue will be taking on Davidson at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, and Illinois State and Ball State will tip things off earlier on Saturday at the Fieldhouse before that Purdue game takes place. Uh, When we come back, I had mentioned it, Jim Ursay, does he now suddenly have something in common, for example, with Stephon Gilmore? Is that no. <laughs> threw a curveball at me? <laughs> Sorry, it, and that seemed like a layup that. for let me, Mark. Let me try that again. Here, hang on, just a second. We'll take two on that. In three, two, one. When we come back, Jim Irsay, does he now have something in common with Stefan Gilmore? Come on, play, damn it! <laughs> Hold on, Mark. Do that one do? more time. Are you okay, allowed sorry. to say that word, sorry. Mark? I think so. Uh, I 24 minutes before the hour of 8 Hold o'clock on, here on a, a Thursday. It's Kevin and Quera, 93.5, The Fan. When we come back. People in their car are like, Jim is Ursay this show glitching? Is... <laughs> Jim Ursay, the owner of the Colts. Question is, does he now have something in common with, say, Stefan Gilmore? Oh, I'm going to get it right on cue here. This one for Mr. Gilmore. Oh, we're such professionals. One of the worst teases in the history of radio. We'll talk to you in a few <laughs> we minutes. We have a meeting to The now, Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Mark, if you were going to play The Doors this morning, wouldn't you go with Riders on the Storm? Oh, what's that wrong more? with this song? I love this song. I mean, it's a decent song. Whoa. Decent. I don't think it's one of the better Doors songs. Did you go through a Doors phase? Well, I mean, I go through Doors every day. That, okay. Kevin. Mark, that's, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go through a Doors phase, Mark? Yes. Um, I guess so. A guy that probably has gone through a few Doors phases in his time, Jim Ursay. Kevin, Jim Mercer made uh, pretty big news. What was it? I'm trying to think of when the exact timeline was when he came out and said that he believed that there was enough evidence um, to have Daniel Snyder removed as the owner of the Washington Commanders. And that kind of created a firestorm around the league. And at that time, I recall saying... It's like early October. Yeah, and... It was just before the two teams were set to play, I believe, right? And 
I recall thinking that it seemed, you know, Jim Irsay, Daniel Snyder, there had been reports that Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Washington Commanders, had told people that he had the goods, essentially, on all the other owners. And, like, basically, look, if you're if you're wanting to condemn me for anything, like, tread lightly because I've hired investigators and I've got the goods on everybody. And, of course, that's kind of been refuted since, but I felt like at the time when Jim Irsay was the one that was the most outspoken in regards to speaking on behalf of the other owners or at least appearing to speak on behalf of the other owners that Ursay was the guy that that made the most sense about because Jim Ursay's transgressions have been very transparent and as a result of that Ursay seemingly was the one owner that was like you want to come after me come after me I mean I'm a I'm an open book everybody knows have I had my challenges? Sure, but everyone knows them. So have at. So it's almost like the other owners were like, if we've got to have somebody speak up, well, you know, so and so can't speak up because he's a little worried that they'll find out about this or so and so. Well, you know, Jim's the guy. I mean, there, there's he's got nothing to hide. You know, hey, hey, Mikey, you know, you do it. And so Ursay came out with those comments. Now, my question for you, Kevin Bowen, on this Thursday morning is the following. Is Jim Ursay, after yesterday's comments, starting to walk back a little bit, or is that me reading into it too much? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably go with the latter, Jake. I, I, I need to double back and look at those comments from early October. I felt like what stood out about those comments were you were not used at all to an owner saying that about a fellow owner. But I felt like Ursay had the caveat. It wasn't the number one headline that people always gravitated towards back then. But I thought he had the caveat even with those comments of like, if these things are true, then we need to look into voting him out of the league. I felt like he he said that. Um, whereas I guess yesterday at the league meetings, it was more of a... We need to hear from Daniel Snyder. We need to hear from the parties involved, those sorts of things. So I maybe he wasn't as demonstrative yesterday in a direct kind of attack on Daniel Snyder like he was a couple months ago, but I think it just kind of got lost in the shuffle of when he initially made those comments, people were in such shock of an owner saying that about another owner. They also missed a little bit of the... He's kind of covering his ass and saying... If these are true, then we need to look into voting him out or vote him out. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, maybe legally, maybe some people kind of got to him or like, hey, innocent until proven guilty. Daniel Snyder should have his chance to make public comments and stand up in front of ownership and all of that. But I, I don't think he walked it back too too much maybe just not as demonstrative as he was a couple months ago uh ursay had said in october quote there is merit to removing snyder as an owner quote you have to protect the shield to protect the league and i don't like to see the shield damaged and right now the shield is taking some damage from all of this um didn't he mention in there though like if these things are true i i felt like that was part of those statements again it wasn't the number one headline but I, I, I felt like he said that at some point. That's in there. fair. Yeah, I mean, yesterday's comments, the tone of them were definitely much more on the side of, we need to hear from Daniel Snyder. 
Ursay said there are potentially 24 votes to remove Snyder as co-owner of the Commanders. Um, and I think you're right. He said there is merit to removing. So perhaps now he is simply being more explanatory. Yeah, or just like a little bit less, you know, screaming. You think, though, the Colts franchise is, and this is really Freudian of me, so, you know, I, I apologize for that, but the Colts franchise is in a different state than it was in early October. Things are a little more unstable within his own franchise in terms of the coach, their position, their where their season's headed, maybe even their general manager. Does that subconsciously cause Ursay to step back a little bit in his comments? Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, yeah, boy, quite a lot of you know what's happened since those comments. Yeah, fired Frank Reich, hired Jeff Saturday, and quarterback shuffle and. Colts are 4-8-1. I think when he made those comments, they might have even been above 500 at that point. So, yeah, maybe there is some of that that comes with those comments. Um, and again, I don't know. Maybe some other owners have reached out to him. Maybe the league has reached out to him and say, we appreciate your candor. We appreciate you kind of being the lone wolf in a lot of this. But at the same time, the element of innocent until proven guilty has to play out, and we need to hear from Daniel Snyder before, you know, 24 votes and all of those things unfold. Doesn't it kind of feel inevitable, though, at this point that Daniel Snyder's out? <laughs> Am I wrong? Well, if Washington fans got their wish. Yeah. Really? Uh, do they have fans still? Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I mean, I'm, remember I'm when those facetious. comments happened? You know, I went on Washington radio a few times during that week and they were like, we love your owner so much. We want to put him in our ring of honor. <laughs> yeah. Can he buy the Washington Commanders and all of this? And obviously you've had you know, Daniel Snyder come out and say that you know they're potentially looking into a sale of the Commanders, and that's certainly a much, much different tone than what he was saying back when those Ursay comments played out. It'll be interesting to see. I, you know, I don't think anybody's going to be overly upset if Daniel Snyder's removed. Let's put it that way, right? Anything you're you care about these final four games, Jake? Outside of draft Boy. position for the Colts, you know, I, I mentioned earlier in the week. I do think this is a massive four game stretch for Bernard Ryman. If he can be your left tackle of the future, ironically enough, you're going to see a guy that you could have drafted as your left tackle of the future on Saturday. It was either going to be Quiddy Pay or Christian Darisau as that left tackle, uh, or as that pick for the Colts a couple drafts ago. Um, Colts didn't feel like Darisau would have met the kind of standard that they created in their offensive line room. Thought Quiddy Pay had a little bit higher character. Went with Quiddy Pay over Darisau, and, you know, Pay's had some moments. Of course, health has been an issue for him, uh, but darisau has been outstanding for Minnesota as their left tackle. But I, I would say that's the one that I'm kind of watching. If Ryman can be that guy, would be absolutely vital for you in crossing off a massive position of need moving forward. I, I, the thing to me that is the most interesting about Bernard Ryman, Kevin, is, you know, as we talked about the other day, and I can't recall, you know, Chap would be a better person probably to answer this because I don't recall this. I think Tarek Glenn was basically put in at left tackle right away and was a good player right away. Anthony Costanzo took time. I mean, you know, I remember... 
Wasn't Glenn a guard that first year? And that, then that might even be the case. I, yeah. I feel like I heard the story like Howard Mudd flying out there and saying, "We're drafting Peyton Manning, and you're going to be the blindside guy for him." And Tark was like, "Whoa, that that may be right." Yeah, um, I thought I thought that was the story. I could be wrong. The, no, that that it, like I said, I I can't recall to be honest with you, but I know that you know Anthony Costanzo. They just threw him into the fire. And, and here's the thing. I remember when Costanzo was first drafted, and that was the year. Costanzo's rookie year was the Curtis Painter year, correct? Yeah, 2011. Uh huh. And I was doing an afternoon show with Derek, and we had to do, we had already, we were early an hour. That might have been the first year we were doing a radio show together. And they wanted us, they had already sold for a Colts player show on Tuesdays, I think it was. <laughs> And the Colts are like 0-10. It's like, well, who are we going to get to come out to do this? And Costanzo was a rookie and and a really nice guy. And he did it probably out of charity like three or four times for us. But he was kind of a doughy, like just a big goofy guy. And doughy. Went, that's how they describe me. Really? I wouldn't list you as doughy at all. Well, the dad bod's starting to grow. <laughs> I always think of Luka Doncic is a little doughy. He's doughy, for sure. He looks like he likes pizza and if beer. You, if, if you poke him, he goes, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to hang out with him post-game. Um, but Costanzo, you know, he went down to Florida, like to IMG, and lived there in the offseason for like, I don't know about lived there, but trained there for a couple of years. And, and he just transformed his body, but he was also infatuated and committed and dedicated towards learning the geometry of learning the position beyond the level that he played at Boston College. And it took probably two years before he became the player that I think was underappreciated during his time here. All of that to say with Bernard Ryman, like, are we accelerating it and making judgment? Are we getting into, is it like the quarterback position where you've got 16 games, 18 games, 20 games to prove what you can do, and if not, you're you're thrown out? When in reality, it takes 30 before a guy really gets a feel for it. I, you know, that would be my, my question. Is it too early either way to even make any sort of a decision on Bernard Ryan? Yeah, that's that's a question that deserves to be asked too, Jake. And I think the Costanzo Ryman entrance to the NFL, very different. Costanzo, first-round pick. I think he was a, a – I feel like he was a three-year starter at Boston College, maybe even a four-year starter. Ryman has only played left tackle for two seasons right. and did it at Central Michigan. Um, so and wasn't drafted obviously in the first round was a third round pick but um, there are a couple other storylines we can get to here over the final four weeks I mean I get that again 98% of the fan base only cares about draft order and for good reason but I do think there are some other things to watch here as the Colts get to the final quarter of the season we'll get back into some Pacers chatter as well again Scott Agnes going to join us at 8 30 Ross Tucker at nine o'clock he's on the national radio call this weekend for Colts and Vikings so we'll get a little bit of a uh, bigger picture view from the Colts. You've seen Ross filling for Dan Patrick before. Uh, always a good listen. So by the we'll way, enjoyed I, that. Adam Meadows combo. was the left tackle. Glenn's rookie year. You are correct. Yeah, Daniel saying that Tark held out, and that might have contributed to him starting at guard. Does that sound right to you? That may be right. Again, I, I apologize. He was uh, he was on the right side along with Tony Manders. They had a decent line, uh, and Adam Meadows was an underrated player at left tackle, but a little undersized. Boy, what a great move by Howard Mudd. Switching Glenn over there. Yeah, I'd say, right? Gosh. You talk about like under-the-radar moves of that era being so successful. 
uh, that is certainly near the top of the list. All right, 8 o'clock hour coming up. Uh, what's it looking like out there? Semi-overcast? Can you see Riley Towers? I can, actually, it's yeah. first time. <laughs> They're yeah. still there, right? <laughs> not as like dreary and ugly as it's been, but certainly not sun splash, as Jake would say, sitting up in turn three um, like it was earlier in the week and really hasn't been at all uh, for the past few weeks. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dyke. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Then good Thursday morning to you. Eight o'clock hour here. Kevin and Corey, we'll get back into the Pacers conversation as they sweep the Golden State Warriors with the win last night. Steph Curry exits Late third quarter, it looked like he was on pace for about 50, at least 50. I, I honestly thought he was going to have a 50-point night. It was a 38 when he left? Yeah. Um, but the Pacers made a big run there late third quarter. They were struggling in the third. Benedict Matherin comes off the bench. Nine straight for him in about a minute. That was huge. And then certainly the Curry injury played a big, big role. So uh, we'll continue that conversation coming up. Um you know, when your team is 4-8-1, and one, it's probably a bit of a laughable conversation, but I do think I can point to a couple players that merit this discussion. Uh, Pro Bowl fan voting ends today. Um, I do think Grover Stewart and Zaire Franklin deserve, particularly Stewart, deserve some Pro Bowl consideration this season. Totally agree on Grover Stewart. I, he's been so solid and under rated and I the sad thing is Kevin I, I don't know that Grover Stewart gets that record I mean I don't know that that, that would no he, he's not going to be in the game Jay. right and when I say game it's a skills competition I guess now but and again I know a lot of people are like who cares about the Pro Bowl Th- these guys care I mean if you're Grover Stewart there's you just, probably bonuses attached to it too right sure and like look at Kenny Moore's emotion last year when he got voted in um, you know if you're a guy like Grover Stewart came from Albany State not some high draft pick. Um, you know, players and coaches do vote on this. It's a third fan. It's a third player. It's a third coach. That's how the voting works. Um, players care. And Grover Stewart, without question, deserves to be a Pro Bowler. The problem is, I've always said this about Pro Bowl, Jake. You have almost two categories. You have one category that's deserving slash likely to be voted in. And then the other category is deserving not likely to be voted in. That's unfortunately the category where Grover Stewart falls because he doesn't have the name recognition. He didn't play at a college that everyone knows. Um, So when his name shows up on the ballot, he'll probably get overlooked. And that's... That's a shame because he deserves he deserves to be a pro bowler. Zaire Franklin, I know, doesn't have the the, the splash plays, you know, not not the turnovers or the sacks, but I I think he deserves at least a look. I mean, how many... How many players this year at any point on the Colts roster have had recognition recognition worthy seasons? Yeah, again, Grover for I mean, sure. The other guy that I can listen to, Jake. I could think of one. Go I, ahead. I would say Stephon Gilmore. Bingo. I agree with that. He he has. You know, listen, we're I I shouldn't say you. I'm hard on Chris Ballard at times, but that's a that's a. Nice signing. I mean, he has. Would you agree that Stephon Gilmore has probably exceeded expectation? 
and that's a guy who's a former defensive player of the year, but I think even though you knew you were getting a good player, there have been times this year where he has, I think, looked back to like peak career form. Not all the time, but in games. Oh, for long, long stretches. Yeah, major credit to Chris Ballard for that move. Um, a 32-year-old corner is risky. That's right. risky business. Right. And he's coming here and he's been healthy. And for a team that has struggled to close out late in games, I think what will help Gil, I could I could definitely see Gilmore being voted in as a Pro Bowler because he does have the name recognition. And the other thing that helps Gilmore's candidacy is this. When the Colts have had those few kind of late game primetime moments, he's made several big plays. You know, Kansas City game, um, Denver game on a Thursday night when, you know, you're the only show in town on that night. Um, so I think that will help him. Nelson does not deserve to be a pro bowler, but I could easily see him getting it just because his name. I think that Mark has shown, you know, you, you always want a player to show a maturation over the course of their career. Then once they get to a certain point, as we talked about with Gilmore, you don't want to see like a slide. But I think Mark has shown an incredible maturation here uh, in the fact that he he realizes that certain little bits of audio and certain bits we do, you don't want to overdo them. You don't want right. to overplay them. And we already played it earlier today, right, yeah. Mark? We played it all earlier today. I mean, why play it? I mean, unless Stefan Gilmore goes to the Pro Bowl, they'll probably say... This one for Mr. Gilmore. But again, we don't want to overplay it, so... <laughs> okay. Just what I thought you'd turn to the corner. You know, right? they announce like the names of players for the Pro Bowl and they just insert that. Instead of Gilmore announcing where he went to college, they just have Ursay just chime in. <laughs> now, and he can, now, if they announce the names of players for the all-rookie team and Alec Pierce is on there, well, you would want to make sure, of course, Mark, that Alec Pierce's name is pronounced correctly because if it's mispronounced, then, of course, you would have to say... Poor, poor Alec Pierce. <laughs> Uh, again, the maturation of Mark Dykton. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, over under one and a half Colts Pro Bowlers. Now, is, again, are we going with... We are not going off alternates. And, and with it being a skills competition... Yeah, there may not be the alternates now, right? I was going to say, I don't think we'll have the amount of alternates. So, fan voting ends today. Players and coaches, I believe, will vote tomorrow. We'll get the Pro Bowl announced next week. Uh, one and a half. Let's set the over under there. Does at least one player have to go from each team, or did they change that again? That is no. I think that's I just a remember. major league baseball rule. Okay. Boy, <laughs> what kind of year has Luke Rhodes had? I feel like I've seen a few Aaron snaps from Luke. I'm going to take the over, actually. So you think it will be who? I will say some combination of Nelson Buckner or Gilmore. That's fair. Two of those three. Nelson? I'll say under. Would Nelson be from people who haven't watched this year? E- exactly. It's just literally people that are like, oh, yeah, Quint Nelson? Yeah, Name four-time Pro Bowler each of the last well, four years? And for that same Check fact, the box. does Jonathan Taylor get votes based on that? The issue with Taylor is this. I think if you look at the running backs in the NFL this year... I mean, if you were to name the top running backs, you'd go Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, like boom, boom, boom. And I just Saquon think... one Barkley to... Well, Saquon's in the NFC. You know, when I when, oh, yeah, that's true. from an AFC standpoint, I think it's pretty obvious on those three. I'll, I'll go over, but reluctantly, just based on law of averages. To your point, how about the team right now that leads fan voting? So, if you combine all the fan votes for teams around the league, which team has garnered the most votes? 
Okay, hang on. Which team has garnered the most? You're saying which which one has the most individual players or just the, the most votes? Per, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, most votes. Just combine all so the players. one guy had 15 million votes, he's carrying it for the whole franchise. Combine all the players and okay. all the teams. Which team has gotten the most votes so far? Fan voting. I will go with, we'll each take a guess here, mm-hmm. Mark. Okay. With my first guess in Kevin's trivia question of most votes for the Pro Bowl this season, I will go with the Dallas Cowboys. I will stay in that division, but I'll go Philadelphia Eagles. I, that was I was leaning that way, but Eagles are third. Cowboys are not in the top five. Okay, uh, then quickly we'll go just one more round here. Uh, I will go with. This surprised me. The Kansas City Chiefs. If it surprised Kevin, I don't think the Chiefs would be a surprise. So. Boy. Show's over at 10, Mark. Give me the Dolphins. Yeah, that that's I was thinking Dolphins because of... Dolphins fourth, Chiefs fifth. Buffalo? Second, the San Francisco 49ers. And in first place, the Colts opponent on Saturday, the Minnesota Vikings. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't you say that Justin Jefferson's the overall? Yeah, I think Tua might have taken over for him, but Justin Jefferson is right up there as one of the leading vote getters. It, it goes to show you, and again, we'll talk to Matt Taylor tomorrow. I think the Vikings have a great fan base, and I think that environment is one of the best in the NFL. Colts are playing the. Is, is it the Skull Chant? Yeah, I feel like I'm throwing in a lip. Mm-hmm saying that i know they were playing that quite often yesterday at practice okay i'd like to know since since people will be chanting skull on and i don't advocate this for kids it's like did you ever participate in the dipping experiment in high school and or college uh not a dipper no Uh, never tried it no i'm not a big uh i dipped out of class a few times but never not a big uh throw it in there under the lip there's nothing more disgusting than when you have the buddy that's a dipper it's like come on man and they got the water bottle. Always seem to be a lot of water bottles around. Or like the little styrofoam cups. Just the worst. <laughs> Ragnar, here he comes. I would love to be the one that like plays that instrument. <laughs> now, And I would love for that to be an actual thing that a Vikings fan plays during the game, not just like a press the button and that gets played. Is a guy actually playing it? I, or I, I is hope it... so. Dressed in a Viking costume, I hope. I, I think that that's probably... Are you just... a dipper? Me? Yeah. No. I always thought in your Kansas ID, it looked like you had a little something in there. I always had, here's the thing. I always had like a, some sort of a weird, like fat deposit or something in my, li- people have asked me my entire life if I'm dipping. You dipping? No, I'm just fat. Thanks. Squirrel cheeks. That's what they call Excuse them. Excuse me? Squirrel cheeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what, am I, what am I collecting for the winter? Is that it's kind of like when Jake called, what's his name? Doughy. Called Anthony oh, Casanzo Doughy. Yeah. yeah, he was Doughy, right? Um, but I think that like the Colts have tried to do kind of like the the skull thing for the Vikings, right? Like the different you know the anvil. Have, the, have and they? The Pacers now have that rev the engine deal. I, sometimes things just got to happen organically. Yeah, the revving of the engine. There there've been some rather obscure individuals behind the wheel. I'm not sure who it was last night. Um, I don't know that people necessarily uh, it was a noticed. former former player like. I think ABA, early NBA. Don. Um, Don Busey? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I 
How was the environment last night in there? A lot of you know, it was a lot of Steph fans. So last night at the game, the Pacers game, it, it was definitely a good environment, but it wasn't near as I don't know. It didn't seem to have kind of the overall buzz or electricity that you typically feel in games where you have somebody of that stardom there to be honest with you a lot of kids wearing Steph jerseys understandably he got a loud applause in the beginning of the game well I don't think anyone hates Steph like people hate LeBron that's it that's fair yeah so like the correct um but you can tell when when he'd hit a couple threes he had a I asked Steven early in the game, like, all right, which is going to happen first? Draymond Green gets a foul or Steph hits a three? And, I mean, it was like 90 seconds in the game, Steph Curry hit a three. And then he hit a three, and he was fouled. And you're like, okay, here we go. Here we go. Um, and he definitely, I mean, like I said, 27 in the first half. It was it was a good environment. It, it felt a little subdued from other games in the past where, like, the big star is in town. But it was cool. You know, something after the game that, I think you like to hear, and again, this goes to why I've always been so high on Benedict Matherin. Carlisle mentioned afterwards that you know Matherin has struggled from three as of late, and that him and Carlisle sat down, and really Matherin approached him on this and wanted to look at film of him shooting threes, particularly kind of pull-up threes and, and stepping into a shot and those sorts of things. And if you look at it last night, Matherin shot it great. Um Matherin had a quote after the game. I have a lot of stuff I need to work on. My coach, you can tell me whatever. I'm here to learn. Jake, I think you don't typically see the combination of a guy that is uber confident, borderline cocky, which Matherin is, but then also being pretty humble enough to learn. Right. And I feel I like he has that. I mean, he is cocky. He's confident. Whatever you want to call it, there is an edge to him that I think is necessary to being a star, and he brings that. But then he combines that with a willingness behind the scenes. I mean, Halliburton t- told the story earlier in the year of like every flight, Matherin is watching film with coaches. And it's like, dude, this is not normal. You know, it, players just kind of decompress on these flights, and that's not what Matherin does of he was not a finished product coming out of Arizona, and I think that was so intriguing of you've got this guy that is so willing to work. His family background is a huge reason why he has this ambition to be great. Um, it, it's a bit tragic in that you know his brother's death, I think, has played a big, big part in that motivation. Um, but I think that's what separates him, and that's what has me, and I think many people, just so intrigued by what he can be one day. I, I just think, Kevin, to, to piggyback off what you said to, and to kind of reiterate it, I, the story that came out about him in college when he was asked why he doesn't go out more and kind of soak up the celebrity of being a college athlete. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? And he said, because I don't want to be around a bunch of people that tell me how great I am, I want to be around people that tell me what I need to do to be better. Sounds like a fake quote, you know? It does. That is 100% correct. It sounds like a fake quote. There's a really good article um, by Mark Spears, for those that missed it, on... I think Bob Bob Kravitz had a similar piece on The Athletic earlier in the week, but um, this was a quote from Matherin's sister, who played at at NC State. I thought this was um, a pretty good quote. And again, just to go back over the Matherin family dynamic father was never in his life um brother tragically died in a i think a bicycle accident 
when Matherin was a early teen, um, so his sister was kind of always there for him, and she said this, at the young age that he plays, he knows the game, but there is so much room to grow. He's unpolished. There's a lot of stuff that he can work on skill-wise, but he has a great work ethic. He's very resilient, and he never backs down from a challenge, so I don't see why he wouldn't be an all-star. Again, I watched this. It's that combination, Jacob. Exude the confidence, have some swagger, but at the same time, be humble enough to want to learn and want to grow, and I think he's got that rare combination. A lot of times I watch, and I've mentioned this before, there are two things that I always kind of look towards when I'm at a game. The first is, at the beginning of the game, as, as the starting five is going towards the scores table, like which player is the one that is the most eager to like kind of pump them up and get them going. It's always TJ McConnell. And you can tell that players just kind of feed off of TJ McConnell. Secondly, I watch when players check into the game what they do. Some of them look up at the scoreboard. Some of them look up to the sky. Some of them check out the crowd. And others walk into the game as if they are awaiting for everything to absorb onto them as if they're walking into like this electricity and they're going to go in and just cut the electricity themselves. And that's Benedict Matherin. Like when he checks into the game, he looks like, okay, I know this game's going on, but I'm about to take control. Yeah, of it. I'm in that's, my arena. That is exactly right. And like he did that, that last night, Jake. He totally. Late third quarter, he absolutely did that when the Pacers needed it the most with those nine straight points. I do think it's worth pointing out. You look at the box score after the game, you're not going to come away like blown away by what Andrew Nemhard did. But Jake, you were there in the final few minutes. Nemhard made three or four plays that I don't know if the Pacers finished that off without him. In just different plays, not just a bucket here, you know, a, a key rebound, a key stop, um, a key assist. Nemhard in those moments continues to be so reliable. One thing they did do last night. Indiana, and I think when we talked to Rick Carlisle, he kind of tipped his hand as the the area that this is something that he found as a strength. Steph Curry was was amazing last night, and it was truly a pleasure to watch someone of that skill set do what he does. He had twenty seven in the first half, thirty eight in the game, and he might have gotten fifty. I don't know. But, there's any might have about it. Well, but here's the other thing. I felt like eventually, and you kind of that his. At one point, he missed a shot, and I remember Steven saying, "Like that's not how he typically misses. Like he he doesn't usually. He kind of ro- or actually he hit one. It kind of rolled around and dropped in at the la- and you know it's like usually he's just straight through, right? They wore him down. The way the Pacers were able to guard Steph Curry, and I know that sounds ridiculous because he had thirty eight. But I felt like as the game went on in crunch minutes, I'm not saying Curry would not have scored baskets. He's a phenomenal talent, one of the best ever to do it. But they they absolutely hounded him. And they were able to do it at times with Halliburton, at times with... Um, you know, Neesmith at times with Nemhard. Nemhard, yeah. They they just rotated through and Big Buddy Yield started the game on him. Yeah, the, and he was constantly under pressure and having to move, which is what he does. But man, they exerted so much out of him last night. I wonder how, what would have happened late in the game. 
and it, it, it to me, it just showed the one thing about the Pacers, they do have seemingly the ability to have fresh legs guarding people on the wings and on the perimeter the entire game. And I don't know that that's something that they had two years ago. But that's an area where they have drastically improved. And they deserve credit for addressing that need, essentially, and getting guys like that. I think with every Pacers game, there has to be an element of this knowing the expectations for this season entering it and realizing that big picture, uh, that's much more important than you know winning on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. You can celebrate those, obviously, but still there are some big picture questions. And one that I have right now, Jake, in mid-December, is about your guy, Isaiah Jackson. Not in the rotation Fair. last night. Didn't play Monday. I get that Miami and Golden State, you like to play a lot of guards, but if and when Miles Turner's traded... There is such a huge question of who's your five man moving forward. And obviously you saw what Turner did last night in the block to kind of ice the game. I, I would like to see a little bit more of a commitment to consistent role for Isaiah Jackson. Fair. And his falling out of rotation seemingly. And yeah, I wouldn't say he's completely fallen out, Jake. It's just a couple of games, but the minutes haven't been as consistent even before this that I would like for them to be. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and it does feel like the big step that that kind of you're waiting for for him has yet to happen. I'm lot, so glad to see though. Draymond Green ejected. He's so exhausting. <laughs> he is. He is definitely that. But you could tell with Draymond Green last night when he started to snap. You know they they quickly gathered around him, and Steve Kerr had a look on his face like, "Yeah." <laughs> it almost yeah, felt it like happens. Kerr had the look on his face like. You want to get ejected, don't you, Draymond? Yeah. He's like, yeah, I mean, Clay's not playing. Wiggins isn't playing. Steph's already in the locker room. <laughs> you know, bad enough I had to play on a back-to-back. Um, all right, Scott Agnes going to join us here in a few. Uh, let's do a morning check down. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Jake, yesterday, uh, Ryan Walters, new Purdue head football coach, introduced to the media. There is a quiet confidence about him, uh, but he is a big believer in his defensive resume. Here is Walters talking about that yesterday. I'm going to have a defensive coordinator, um, but I do believe that what what I do is unique. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not shy in saying I, I think I'm the best defensive coordinator in the country right now. Uh, I think the, the numbers speak for themselves. Um, and and so, I, you know, I, I would not relinquish those duties unless I felt comfortable. So I, the, the defensive side of the ball has got to be taken care of. If that's with me, then that needs to be with me. Um, but if I feel comfortable with the staff that we bring in and their abilities to um, do it as a high level as, as I could or, or better, then I'll do what's best for the program. Jake, I know we talked a lot about the jump that Illinois made under Walters, and it's beyond impressive. Uh, when he took over the Missouri defense as well, they made kind of a similar jump, more of from a win-loss standpoint. So I don't think there's any questioning uh, whatsoever what he brings to the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and as we mentioned earlier, got to be aware offensively of making sure that you don't become 1958 Nebraska, right? right? And I think his words indicate that he gets that. I think his age helps a little bit. In that, again, a high school quarterback. So uh, we'll see what the offensive coordinator hire is going to be for Ryan. 
Uh, he was at your old stomping grounds, the cathedral, last night. Was he? Yep. They've got a couple uh, couple recruits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Tibbs, the wideout, and uh, Kendrick Gilbert, a yep. defensive lineman. So uh, we talked about that when Jeff Brown left to go to Louisville. A lot of Indianapolis recruits that Ryan Walters will try and retain because there have been about a handful of decommits so far for Purdue. Uh, tonight's Thursday night football, 49ers and Seahawks. Well, who are we taking in that one? It's at Seattle, right? At Seattle, 49ers oh. favored by three and a half. Yeah, Seattle. 49ers favored by three and a half without knowing who the quarterback's going to be. Brock Purdy sounds like we'll give it a go. How many in a row has San Francisco won? Six? Seattle. Six in a row. They have not allowed over 17 points yeah, in any Seattle, of those games. No, Seattle wins tonight. I'll take the 49ers. 23-19 Seattle Oh, wins. you guys should make a friendly wager on that one. Would you like to wager? Does it have to be friendly? Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> Some venom from across the way. Bucky Nuggets for a year to, for the winner. Ooh. For a year? I'm not making that road trip all the time. I'm kidding. Well, you just go and buy. Well, you just go to Richmond, Kentucky one time That's and then true. carful. Ashley, I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> Taking a vacation day. <laughs> Spend all day there, right? Yeah. Hell yeah. You know what's underrated at Bucky's is the banana pudding. I've never had the banana pudding. I, oh, buddy, it's underrated. Fan of banana pudding. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen it. Uh, we've got a final in the got world. A huge kiosk right in the middle. Cup. Got a bunch of brisket. Sorry, Kev. <laughs> Argentina and France. That'll be Sunday morning at ten. We talked a little bit about this earlier. I think from a eyes standpoint, world storyline standpoint, this is about as good of a matchup as you could get here. Argentina is the last World Cup, nineteen eighty six, last championship, I should say, for France. They are the defending champs. And, Mark, you made the uh, good analogy earlier. It's a little bit of Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes with mm-hmm. Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe. Yeah. If I'm saying that correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, although Messi does not have the World Cup title Correct. just yet. Yeah, so if you're a little World Cup, you know, your intelligence of the World Cup is a little low, you want a football comp, there you go. An NFL comp. They do a third-place game. They do. Mm-hmm. So that'll be Saturday, Croatia and Morocco. Morocco played well yesterday, but a dose nil for the French. By the way, did you know that Buenos Aires is the capital of Argentina, and it's named that because when it was discovered in the 16th century, they meant to say that it was a city of fair winds or good air? Did you, did you guys know that? No. Okay, well, you do now. That's, you know what we do on this riveting. program? What? Do you know what we do on this program? Educate and entertain. Thank you. Well, there you go. Did you guys see the sights from... I'm not sure that did either. Buenos Aires? I mean, the streets are filled after all these games. And I mean, Paris the same way. It is remarkable seeing that. Like, would we... If the U.S. was in the semifinal, would New York, Chicago, or L.A. look like that? Not, Not to that degree, no. Yes, but very temporarily. It would be a bunch of guys running around wearing flags as capes. Like Tony Katz? The scarf, maybe? <laughs> he would have his scarf on, yes. Big footballer. I I have always said in the show Ted Lasso, I apologize for diehard soccer fans because I don't mean this as a disrespect to their game. I mean it as a compliment. It was after watching Ted Lasso and seeing the guys, the peanut gallery that are in the bar all the time, that I thought to myself, it would be so fun to spend like a summer either in England or or to your point, Kevin, a place like Argentina when there is a huge soccer tournament going on and, and get with the people that are fans of a particular club and just dive into that culture for like 
a couple of months. Yeah, my wife studied abroad in Barcelona when Spain won the World Cup. And she talks about just how incredible of an atmosphere and environment that was. And she'd be the first one to tell you she knows nothing about football. Uh, Colts injury I'd report. Like to study abroad in Spain, but probably get a restraining order. Right? Ke- Kenny Moore, Brandon Faison, Mike Strawn, the three did not practice from yesterday. Again, Kenny Moore dealing with that ankle injury. So missing two corners against Justin Jefferson, probably not ideal. Uh, let's talk a little Pacers. We'll do that next. Scott Ag. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This joins us. Pacers with a season sweep over the Warriors last night. Was it 125-119? Does it sound right for the that final? That is correct. Tyrese Halliburton with 29, Benedict Mathurin with 24, Miles Turner with 21. Yeah, Steph Curry exiting late third quarter there. Benedict Mathurin a huge run to end the third, or I should say late in that quarter as well. Um, and the Pacers are able to bounce back. They really have not had many long losing stretches this season, um, so they continue to be pretty resilient in that area. To talk a little bit more about the Pacers, Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files joins us. Scott, it was the rare good first quarter for Indiana, and while there was some great back and forth, of course, and Golden State made a run in the third quarter, you were reminded last night of like, wow, when this team actually gets off to a good start, they typically win those games. Yeah, and a spectacular then second quarter, 47 points. Uh, You know, one of their best quarters of the year easily, and that really propelled them to the win so early, and then they were able to hold them off. I thought that kind of became that story in that, um, yeah, they, they had that nice little run to end the first quarter, carried it into the second, and then never relinquished the lead. And so for a young team, I thought that was impressive. Scott, in terms of the pacer starts or their ability to score in bunches in quarters, at times it is kind of feast or famine. You look no further than last night versus, say, Miami. Is that more about the way that they are being played by the opponent and the pace that the opponent is setting or something that they are trying to do in some games that just, like, shots aren't falling or whatever it may be, as elementary as that may sound? Yeah, for, as far as the poor starts, I think it's a lot of just missing shots and, and starting slowly. I don't know if it's a lineup fix. Nobody really has the answer um, just yet very clearly because it's still been an issue. In terms of everything else, it, honestly, a lot of times it's, it's game to game. To game. Um, it seems like it's been more just kind of missing shots or, or um, making some poor mistakes, getting a little frantic, a, a word that Rick Carlisle has repeated a lot. Um, rushing the offense, maybe not not getting what they're so accustomed to getting. Now, the Miami game, that was definitely an exception. That was a lot of what Miami was doing. They were sagging back in that they sent four back um, um, in, uh, in order to stop the Pacers from getting off in transition. It's something the Pacers, they really want to do and their top two team in doing. They threw out a zone in there. They were switching everything. Uh, so that, that specific game two games ago, that was more so what the Heat were doing. It seems like every game, fourth quarter, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to zone the Pacers. Uh, it seems to be like a very common occurrence. Yeah, you saw Golden State try and do it again last night. Again, Scott Agnes with us here from the Fieldhouse Files. Scott, you've obviously been at 
you know, probably virtually every home game for the Pacers over the past decade or so. How would you compare last night Steph Curry circus pregame within the game to, you know, either other Curry games, LeBron, Kobe, uh, you know, kind of when all these stars come to Indy? Yeah, it's easily the the best vibe or atmosphere, certainly, um, uh, of each game each year, for sure, uh, in that there's a crowd. The, the biggest telltale point comes an hour before the game when there are hundreds of fans on the end zone waiting to watch a guy shoot. If you want to think of it in simplistic terms, it sounds silly, right? But then you realize that's that's all in some ways worth more than the ticket to the game itself to see a guy that's a master of his craft the best to ever do it how long is he out there for uh 20 minutes i want to say okay is it mostly like little kids watching all age ranges it's it's a lot of parents and kids though for sure but i mean you got to you know, a kid with a poster board that's in high school that's, you know, Steph's my favorite player. You got a four year old saying it's my birthday and then and then you got a dad kind of in awe. So mm-hmm. it, it ranges, which is really cool. Um but this is easily by far uh the most I think of any team that that you know the Pacers might face with probably LeBron's team being second. It, it's just a sizable thing. The the age ranges and the fact that, you know, during um, pregame intros, like Steph received a lot of ovation than even some of the Pacers, it sounded like. And and you get it. Steph's a generational player. He's a player that a lot of these kids can see themselves in. And, and so, he's likable. Yeah, that's what makes it special. That too, yeah. Yeah, I'm There's sick of the mouthpiece, though. I'm sick of the mouthpiece on defense. He's got to do something with the mouthpiece, Scott. He's got to either decide to put it, st- <laughs> keep it in, or like I'm sick of the mouth. He's carrying it half the time he's playing defense. He loves to chomp on on the foul line too. Yeah. Yes, that's what it is. It's 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 halfway in and then chewing around while he gets set for the game the ball to be put back in play. Scott, one of the guys for the Pacers that that I was noticing last night, and I'd kind of forgotten about. And I do think, and I have no idea, I want your thought on this, Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files on the Palo Sugars Hotline. I want your thought on, is this a guy that the Pacers are just holding on to to then flip? Or are they hoping to eventually get minutes for? Because I do think that there might be a place for what he can bring to the table that they're missing. Daniel Tice, where do things stand? What's going on there? Yeah, so he's still rehabbing from the minor knee surgery that he had, uh, basically like a scope, essentially, to decrease swelling, and uh, it just wasn't getting any better. Um, In terms of where he's at in his future, I think it's still probably most likely that he has flipped, um, just considering the Pacers situation and where he's at in his career. He really wants to win. He's towards the back end closer than the front end, and so, I mean, for example, I think he would really like to go back to Boston and, and try to help contribute to that team. The Celtics have been without their their centers the last several games. They're out with injuries. I think that I don't even know if Boston is interested or has uh, the the means to swing that. But I just think it's probably more likely than not that he has moved um, than than you know plays out his contract here. 
Scott, on that front, Jake and I were talking about this earlier. Again, Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files with the C on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Isaiah Jackson, out of the rotation in the last couple of games. If you look at his minutes even before that, they, they shrunk a little bit. I get that Miami and Golden State are smaller teams, so that probably plays into some of that. Um, so I guess two questions. Do you think this is more of a permanent thing? And then secondly, don't you get the feeling that like it's important to give Jackson consistent minutes no matter what, considering the elephant in the room of if and when you trade Miles Turner, you just explained Daniel Tice's situation. Goga does not look like a starting center at all. You would want to see what you have in Isaiah Jackson before you get to that point where Turner is no longer here. Yeah, that's that's been one of the quietly revealing things I'd say over the last couple of games is Isaiah Jackson's not played. Jalen Smith has played. It's been off the bench, and it's been maybe a dozen minutes. No Terry Taylor, no Goga, uh, and you could include James Johnson. But basically, they, they have, they've gone small um, and haven't played much of their bigs whatsoever. And so, yeah, I think a lot of it is matchup things. I also think those guys, both talking about Smith and Jackson, both missed a game or two with an injury, so maybe they're not exactly 100% as well. Um, and to your last point, though, I think there might be something to that in that you do need to get Jackson out there uh, at least every single game. It, it depends. you, you got to rethink, what are we doing here? Don't lose sight right, of the end right. game, ultimately. And, you know, if this goes on for a couple weeks, then, then I think maybe it's a little bit troubling. If it's another game and that's it, all right, I can understand a blip on the radar you know, maybe I think it was a sore knee. Maybe that wasn't 100%, so Temp looking out there. But, um, yeah, that that's something we're definitely following closely into this next week. The more I watch him, the more the obvious comes into play. Scott, it's really hard to keep T.J. McConnell off the floor, isn't it? It is because they're, they're getting off to those poor start, starts. They need someone to reorganize. They need a jolt of energy off the bench. Maybe someone to muck it up a little bit, and and meaning you know steal that inbounds pass. It's unbelievable how often he does that. <laughs> I think it's amazing because what he's like seven years into his career, the book should be out on him. Totally, and yet he's still able to get teams, oftentimes once a game at least. Scott, last one for me, and I've obviously thrown a lot of Benedict Matherin questions at you over the past few months. You know, I think what stood out to me again last night about him, two things. One is, you know, his willingness to learn. You know, he's struggling with that jumper. I think you had mentioned to Rick Carlisle or vice versa that, you know, he had watched some film and, and just clearly shot it better last night. The other thing that probably stands out the most and, and is why I feel like stardom could be there for him is I feel like he's played his best in the biggest moments this season. Whether it was the Lakers game with his comments about LeBron and backing that up. Again, last night against the defending champs. You know, he had, what, 32, I think it was, at Brooklyn earlier in the year. He did that at Arizona. Kind of in the bigger games, he really stepped up. But to do that as a rookie in the NBA, I think it's pretty rare. Um, And was something that, again, stood out to me last night about him. Yeah, to not let the moment get too big for him um, is is telling. And I'm not surprised by this because that's actually what Tommy Lloyd was saying. I talked to him after that first game, and he was like, no, 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 he's built for this. Those big moments never phase him. He wants the ball. Um, One of the great draft stories at the draft was I was asking them about the Pacers interview process. And I was like, 
Pacers are asking you to take the or Pacers are asking you to drop a final play, right? Because I, I learned that's what they were doing in their meeting. One of many things. He's like, yeah. I go, who's who took the final shot, Ben? He said, oh, I drew it up for me. Now, comparatively, I asked Keegan Murray the same thing. He goes, oh, I drew it up for somebody else. Now, it's not a poor reflection on anyone, but I think it's telling. It's he's confident in himself and he believes in himself that I want that final shot. And so, uh, I thought that was really impressive. And then. Something we've heard Rick repeat several times, he did again last night, and it's how much Ben wants to be coached. How Probably more than any other player on this roster right now. Like He, he wants to get yelled at. He wants to be um, taught and, and learned because he, you know, his mindset out there is, I'm not the best yet, so I need to get there. Here, how can I get there? Yeah. And that's just so incredible for such a young guy. Again, it's, I said this to Jake a few minutes ago. It's that rare combination, Scott, of having a cockiness, a swagger, a confidence about you, but yet still being humble enough to want to learn. And I feel like he's got that combination, which I don't think is something you typically see. And, that, and so far, he's taken seemingly everything in stride, including still coming off the bench. So it, it remains impressive what he's been able to accomplish and, and also by the way two other things of note for this day by the way which it being december 15th this is the day where more trade talks i think pick up and also it marks one year since herb simon called us a few of us into a room remember last year and had that long talk that was just one year ago today was that nice little team was that the was that that's where that came out of yes could, yeah. could you uh, explain a little bit more why trade talks pick up on the 15th sure yeah absolutely so any player that's signed in the off season is ineligible to be traded um for it and that's six, six about six months time and so now that those players are eligible to, um to be traded now that opens an, a much larger pot of players, so to speak, of, of guys that could be intru- included in trades and, and those sort of things. And so usually it's still a little bit early. Things wouldn't get started till January, typically for most significant trades. But that's why, remember at the start of the season, if people were talking about, you know, will something happen with Miles or he came off a good first couple of games, will something happen? It's like, no, no, no. Historically, nothing really happens till January maybe at least mid-December because of this date. Thursday, February 9th, that is the NBA trade deadline. So less than two months away from that. Again, Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Scott, thank you, man. You bet. Thanks, guys. Uh, Chris Duarte, Jake, played last night for the Mad Ants. So he's got a two-game stint in the G League. Um, 18 points on 7 of 13 shooting. How many minutes? For him. Uh, that's a good question. I would need to look that up. Uh, but he's trying to get back. What, it's been over a month, hasn't it, for him? Yeah. With that ankle I mean, issue? I mean, he had that, remember, he had that you huge almost, game. I, I hate to say this, you almost forget about him. I, I know. He had that huge game, um, Brooklyn, where he had like 30 or something in, in that one. So you're kind of thinking to yourself... Would he get back into the fold? 22 minutes for him last night. 7 of 13 from the floor, 3 of 6 from 3. And again, 18 points for Chris Duarte. Uh, By the way, Ross Tucker is going to join us about 12 minutes from now. He is going to be on the radio call for Colts and Vikings coming up on Saturday, right? Which still feels like a Sunday. Yeah, national radio call. Again, for those that missed it, uh, unfortunately, Rick Venturi filling under the weather. It'll be Joe Wrights with Matt Taylor coming up on these airwaves. 
um, this weekend. But Ross Tucker, who I think a lot of people have heard, he's been a fill-in for Dan Patrick. Uh, we'll get some national perspective with him coming up in about 10 minutes. Kevin Aquari, 93.5, 107.5, The Fam. Okay, we're going to talk um, Colts-Vikings coming up with Ross Tucker, NFL draft analyst, former NFL offensive lineman. He'll be on the national broadcast call um, for Westwood One of Colts and Vikings, 1 o'clock on Saturday. Mark, you said you got a call in the break regarding future at center for the Pacers? Yep. Yeah, Larry couldn't stay on, but he was asking if, obviously, Miles, Trainer's not, Tr- Miles Turner is on the trade block, and they end up moving him, who is then the starting center for the Pacers going forward. It's a great question. And I think it's really why, Jake, we've talked about Isaiah Jackson and not getting those consistent minutes as of late. Just a little puzzling on that front. I've kind of looked at Isaiah Jackson. I've made this analogy before. I don't know if it's a great one or not. But in a way, I almost view him as like a nickel cornerback in the NFL or a third-down situational pass rusher. Against smaller teams, I do think Isaiah Jackson can be a five-man for you. Is he an every-night five? No. I don't think I want him bodying Jokic or Joel Embiid. Right. And so that would be where you'd have some concern. But, Jake, that's a huge, huge question because Goga's not it, and Daniel Tice you know, wants to be on a contender. It's why I was asking about Tice, right? Because what they need, I, I think, you know, there was a point last night in the game, I think it was Jordan Poole. I can't remember who it was. Went to the down the lane for a dunk. They kind of lost control of the basketball, truth be told. But O'Shea Brissett goes straight up, gets the block, then kind of stood over like with like just a like just kind of a nasty like junkyard type look. Stood over, I think it was Pool. Like, don't come in my area. And I loved it because that's what that's the one thing I think the Pacers could use is just that nastiness. But the problem is Brissett's you know not a big. And Daniel Tice is six eight, but seems to kind of add that or, or provide that kind of muscle about himself. But I think they need one more of those inside. You know, and Tice could be that guy, but but again, the combination of health and desire to move on, it doesn't feel like it's going to be him. Yeah, and Turner would be a huge loss, but you know, it's just the inevitable of guys hitting free agency. If he doesn't want to be here, you have no choice. Um, but yeah, to Larry's point, you know, I. I'd like to see more of Jackson just to get a better evaluation, but in all likelihood, that's a position that would need some definite attention coming up in the offseason. All right, next up, Ross Tucker, again, NFL draft analyst, former NFL offensive lineman. He's going to join us next, talk a little Colts and Vikings. Nice work by Mark. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. To play the Prince since it is the land of purple where the Colts will be headed this weekend up to the Twin Cities, taking on the Minnesota Vikings on Saturday. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, he is the host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. You can, of course, always find him on social media at Ross Tucker NFL, and he will be part of the Westwood One radio broadcast providing analysis for the Colts and the Vikings coming up on Saturday. Ross Tucker joins us on the program. Ross, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, good morning. Thank you guys so much for having me. Hey, let's begin with this. I, you know, I'm going to start actually, even though we're in Indianapolis, I'm going to start you with a Minneapolis or a Vikings question. Uh, feels to me, and the NFL is cyclical, I realize that, 
But I felt like a month ago, perhaps, maybe after that Buffalo game in particular, that Minnesota was one that it's like, man, nobody's talking about the Vikings, but this looks like a team that is really going to be poised to perhaps make a deep run. But it felt like they've scaled back a little bit here. I don't know if that's a health issue or just the way they're playing. But am I off base in saying that, that Minnesota seems to come back down to earth a little bit? You know, I, I, I think there's a lot of people that kind of thought all along that they weren't really as good as their as their record indicates. Now, I think especially after that Buffalo win, and you see their skill on offense, right? I mean, Justin Jefferson might be the best receiver in the league. Adam Thielen's a heck of a number two. They got Hawkinson at tight end now. Dalvin Cook's a stud running back. Kirk Cousins, nobody ever, you know, seems to love him. He just plays like a top 12 quarterback, you know? I mean, everybody's always like, yeah, it's Kirk Cousins, but he just plays well. Um, but if you look at it, guys, it's kind of wild. They're 9-0 and in one-score games. 9-0. and They got blown out by the Eagles, blown out by the Cowboys, and they lost by two scores to the Lions last week. Their defense is very poor. I mean, you're talking about, I think it's five straight games where they've given up over 400 yards. Four of those five, they gave up over 300 yards passing. The only game they didn't was that Cowboys game, and that's because Dak got pulled like in the third quarter because they were winning by so much. So they absolutely have the weaponry on offense, but their defense has been really bad. It's interesting because there's a great chance they'll be the two seed, but they're not one of the three teams in the NFC that I can envision going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and lately they've really struggled running the football, too, with Dalvin Cook. Again, Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman, host of the Ross Tucker Podcast. You can check him out on social media, at Ross Tucker NFL. Great listen. You've probably heard him filling in for Dan Patrick or as a guest with Dan Patrick. Uh, we appreciate the time this morning. I guess on the flip side of that, Ross, 4-8-1 uh, Indianapolis Colts. Do you think that's an accurate depiction of what you've seen from the Colts this season? Their record? Yeah, do you think they, they, they look like a team that's you know one of the bottom feeders in the NFL? Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't know. It's weird. You know, I, I remember the Chiefs game. You know, the, the thing that I guess is frustrating for me, and I'm sure you guys talk about it, and I don't know how you feel about it, I, I felt like they benched Matt Ryan too early. I, I would love to see a scenario, and obviously this can never happen, but I would have loved to have seen how the season would have unfolded if, based on all accounts that I had heard, if the owner hadn't forced Frank Wright to bench Matt Ryan, and not even for Nick Foles, but for Ellinger, who clearly wasn't ready to play. You know, I, I don't know. I think there's a decent chance maybe they win one of those two games. Ross, I, I, I not to cut you off, man. I, I I said the exact same thing this week. I got to thinking about it. I'm like, wait a minute, that that literally was like somebody jumping over the center console and just grabbing a hold of the steering wheel and jerking it into a lane that nobody saw coming, and now all of a sudden you're in a traffic jam and you go, what in the hell just happened? Uh, I, well, let's think about this, right? Let's just think about this 
logically for a second. And I don't know Mr. Ursay at all, but let's go through the logic here of the owner dictating to the successful head coach that he needs to bench the starter and put in the third string young guy. Okay. That doesn't work. So the next week, presumably, the same owner dictates that the offensive coordinator needs to be fired. Okay. Not sure I really understand that after you just change the quarterback after one week, but okay. So the head coach complies and does that. Then the next week, the same owner who made the head coach do things the two prior weeks fires the head coach, installs a former offensive lineman who's in the media, who's not me, by the way. I probably would have done it. Why didn't I get a call? Um, (laughs) But in the media, installs him and allows him to put Matt Ryan back in as the quarterback. So whether you agree or disagree with any of the moves that the Colts have made, it's really hard to argue that the owner is being logical or making any sense with the decisions that he's making. You, you just can't. I mean, it, there's no way, as I just walked you through the steps, that there's any way that that makes any sort of sense. Do you believe, Ross, that that particular perception can impede Indianapolis from getting the best coaching candidate that they can with this vacancy that will open up at the end of the year? Yes, I do. I believe that if you are a hot candidate, and listen, you know, I do a lot of stuff for the Eagles. They're, both their coordinators are absolute studs. I mean, their whole team is just ridiculous. That was actually a really good performance by the Colts against the Eagles to almost beat them. Because they have they've murdered everybody since then. Um, if you have options, are you going to go to the team where the owner seems um, logical, um, or are you going to go to the team where it appears as if the owner is I'm trying to phrase this? The right way, guys. Um, I guess emotional and or irrational at best. I, I don't. That's not where I want to go. I don't want to go somewhere where, first of all, they don't have a quarterback, and secondly, the owner is emotional and irrational at best. At best. Yeah, and it's not like you're going to sit there with the number one or two overall pick either to potentially find that quarterback in all likelihood. Um, so some big questions facing the Colts at the end of the year. Again, Ross Tucker is with us. He'll be on the call. Color analyst for Westwood One coming up on Saturday. Colts and Vikings. I'm curious this, Ross, and I guess I'm kind of going in a positive direction, but you know, here locally there's one position group for the Colts that really stands out as a strength, and I'm curious if you have noticed that as well like if you were going to kind of pinpoint one position group for the Colts that oh yeah that is a really really good group they've played well this season there's some talent there what would you point to D-line yeah 
I was going to say defensive really tackle specifically. D line. I mean, th- those guys. Uh, Ngakwe's done some good things. DeForest Buckner, I love that guy. And I'll tell you what, this Grover Stewart, I feel like I didn't know that much about him. He's good. Really good. They, 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 they did a really nice job against the Eagles offensively. I, I was impressed by the, the Colts defense in general and the D-line in particular. And then honestly, like, with the, with the linebackers, when they get Leonard back, and then the secondary, I don't remember how long Gilmore's uh, contract is, but with the way Rodgers has played and Kenny Moore, and, I mean, it's just a shame. It's really a shame because the AFC South was extremely winnable this year. And and I think talent-wise, the Colts probably have the best team and probably should have won that division. A two-year deal for Gilmore. But, yeah, to Ross's point, Jake, as we've said all along, the defense has played January-like. The offense, not so much. Ross Tucker is our guest, by the way, on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Again, on Twitter, you can find him at Ross Tucker NFL. He will be on the call this weekend for the Colts and Vikings. Ross, I want to circle back to, uh, as you were talking about, because I think it's fascinating. And I think that when you're talking about perceptions of Indianapolis, you know, we live in an echo chamber here, right? I mean, we're in Indianapolis, so it's hard to know what, what the outside perspective is on them. I'm curious, from Chris Ballard's standpoint, and none of us know whether or not Chris Ballard even wants to maintain at his position with kind of the chaos around him, but do the Colts, are they in a position now where they have to, I mean, we're, we're, we're looking at like year seven of the Ballard era, and he has yet to draft the build-around quarterback and continues to go with kind of band-aid 38-year-old guy, one-to-one, you know, hell, Aaron Rodgers, is he next? Tom Brady, is he next? Do they have to draft a quarterback this year? Well, I think as soon as you say have to anything, you're looking at it the wrong way. Um, I think that would be ideal, certainly, if they were able to get a young quarterback that they could build around. But I'd also say, in fairness to Ballard, they've had a really, a really pretty good team, right? And I think they wanted to make sure they had a quarterback that can help them have success. And Rivers got him to the playoffs. And, you know, Wentz should have gotten him to the playoffs last year. And so they should have been teams that were in the mix. And even Rivers played well in that playoff game at Buffalo. I mean, they almost won that game. So I understand why he did what he did. Plus, it's kind of a, it's like a, I don't know if it's a secret, but these GMs know that, if you, if you draft a quarterback in the first round, if he's not good, you're done. So, whereas if you get these Band-Aid guys, you can get a different Band-Aid guy the next year. You call it a Band-Aid guy. You get a different guy the next year and give it a shot that way. Whereas if you draft a quarterback in the first round and – He's not good. You're fired. Yeah, that's so, where the I, I said earlier. That's where the clock starts ticking on you, right? Like when you draft a first or you know the quote unquote franchise quarterback as a GM, your tenure starts and you are on the clock starting then. A thousand percent. 
Again, Ross Tucker is with us here. You will hear him. Westwood won the national call coming up this weekend. He also is the host of the Ross Tucker podcast, and you can check him out on social media at Ross Tucker NFL. Uh, the Colts have seen some pretty good wideouts this week, this year. Ross, I would think Justin Jefferson uh, might be at the top of that list. What has made him really have one of the best starts to an NFL career of any wideout in league history? Yeah, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Um, I don't know. I mean, he's just so good. You know, he's faster, I think, than people thought he would be um, and more explosive. There was some concern at LSU that he was just a slot guy, but he's obviously shown he's much more uh, of an outside guy than people realize. His catch radius is awesome. His contested catch ability is awesome. He's a really good route runner. I mean, he's he's just fantastic. They move him around a lot, right? They do. And it's wild, by the way, because, um, you know, I mentioned I do Eagles preseason on television. I do their pregame on the radio. And they took Jalen Rager one spot ahead of him. Hmm who's now like the number five receiver for the Vikings. And it's all people talked about for a long time in Philly, the last couple of years. Thankfully, now they got another couple of good receivers that they had to trade for, A.J. Brown, and they have Devontae Smith. But he's, he's fantastic. Jefferson is, I, I think he's the best receiver in the NFL. I think you can make an argument for Devontae Adams as well, maybe even Tyree Kill, but Jefferson is, he's awesome. Ross, give me a team or two that Philly's probably the easy answer here just because, as you'd mentioned, they're winning so convincingly. But if you had to step it back a little bit, give me a team or two heading into the home stretch here that has the ability to win with the highest number of different ways. They might be able to beat you in a defensive slugout. They might be able to beat you in an air game. They might be able to beat you in a ground game. You know, what What team or two are the most versatile in the ways that they can win a football game? Yeah, I think it's probably the, uh, I think it's probably off the top of my head, the, um, the three teams I can see going to the Super Bowl from the NFC. You know, because the Cowboys, Dak can have a big night if you need him to, but they also have an awesome defense that can make plays, and they also can run the ball very well. I mean, they've had over 100 yards rushing, Pollard and Zeke, every game since week four, and I think the Niners fit that mold as well based on what we've seen from Purdy. Their defense is awesome. They can obviously run it very well, and Purdy's been impressive. So those three, in the AFC, it's really only the Bengals. You know, I, I, don't, I don't look at the, the, uh, the Eagle, I'm sorry, the Chiefs or the Bills as being able to win in a lot of different ways. I mean, I feel like the Bills and the Chiefs kind of need Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes to be Superman to win. I, hey, it's it's all coming together for Cincy at the right time, isn't it? In terms of their health and just being on the same page. I don't know that people have talked about it, but the last three weeks to a month, it's like, whoa, here come the Bengals, right? Well, number one, their O-line has gotten so much better over the course of the year. So much better. Number two, their, um, their defense is really good. Like that guy should be a head coach, Lou Anarumo, the D coordinator for the 
for the Bengals, he is a stud. Because they don't have, like, a lot of big-name guys on that defense, but they are really good, and they have been the last couple of years. I think Anarumo should be a head coach. Ross, before we let you go, I'm, uh, what are we, a little over a week out from Christmas. Uh, per usual, I'm in scramble mode from a gift <laughs> standpoint. And uh, word on the street is you got a holiday gift idea? Absolutely. We're 10 days away. you got to go to myfrontpagestory.com. My buddy started the business. It's, it's genius, actually. Because you just talk to a writer or you fill out a couple questions in the email. And they write the most unbelievable story about your wife or your mom or whoever you don't have a gift for yet. And it's amazing. It looks like it's on the front page of the newspaper. It's um, pictures of her. It's a great story. And the cool thing, the two cool things about it, guys, when you give it to somebody and they're opening it, they'll be like, wait, what is this? To be able to say to like your mom or your wife, I want to do something special for you. So I had a story written about you. Like, that just sounds awesome. Like, who gets a story written about somebody? It sounds awesome. And then when they actually read the quotes, and it's like, I just never thank her enough for all the little things she does, they will cry. Like, your wife, your mom, she will cry. You will win. Trust me, myfrontpagestory.com. I know a lot of you haven't gotten anything yet. This is the gift. And, by the way, they have it hanging up in their house forever. So it's like the gift that keeps on giving. MyFrontPageStory.com. How about the former offensive lineman going a little tearjerker there <laughs> on the gift idea? That might be the upset of the morning, Ross. You love it, now, dude. <laughs> I, I'm a sense. I'm a big. I'm a big softy. I'm sentimental, man. I love. I love gifts like that. Don't get her some other stuff she doesn't really need, or some stupid material thing. Get her something that'll actually. That's that so really appreciate for a long time. Yeah, the candle for the thirteenth year in a row. Probably not the no, route that I should go with. There. Hey Ross, before we let you go, I, I, I want to make sure that this is accurate. Did you go to the same high school as Taylor Swift? Yeah, well, she didn't go to high school there. She left when she was fifteen. But yes, yeah, she is from Wyoming, Pennsylvania. It's about an hour west of Philadelphia. Um, Alex Anzalone starts at linebacker. For the Lions, Chad Henney plays for the Chiefs. And there, I'm telling you, there was like a six-year period where I was the most famous person from Why Missing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> last, time, last time I saw her parents, um, I told her mom, I said, you know, from 2001 to like 2008, <laughs> I was the most famous person from Why Missing. <laughs> and her mom, her mom said to me, well, you know, just keep working, Ross. I, mean, no, I think it's over. I think I lost. That's right. Like, she's kind of the most famous person in the world, I think. I don't, about, I don't know. I, you're I, the I, most famous person to stay. In the whole world, who's more famous than her? I don't even know if anybody is. Well, you're wow. the most famous to stay until you were 18. How's that? <laughs> I'll take it. I'll All right. It. Fair enough. Ross, have a great call on Saturday. Again, host the Ross Tucker Podcast. Check him out on social media, at Ross Tucker NFL. Great stuff, Ross. Thank you. See you guys. That's Ross Tucker right there on the Payless Slickers hotline. Again, you've heard him uh, filling in for Dan Patrick, guest for Dan Patrick. I think he does some CBS sports stuff. So Always pretty, good to get a little national pretty flavor. Pretty interesting perspectives on Indianapolis, on the Colts. Yeah, and I think I, I think it's real, Jake. It was a question that I had, you know, we brought up earlier in the show of, you know, when Jim Mercer started to go on this power trip and, and meddle to the degree that he did, 
will that scare some candidates away? And, you know, it's it's more than just that. It's, again, the quarterback decision is not obvious. It's unlikely you're going to have the number one, two, or three pick in the draft. That can complicate some things. Sure, there's an element of this is one of 32 of these jobs. Guys are still going to be heavily interested, but we see it every year. Guys remove themselves from job interviews, situations. Um, if you're confident in yourself, you probably know that you're only going to get one shot at it. You might not want to rush just to take it. So I think that is a a fair, fair question to ask leading into this head coaching search coming up here in less than a month. Uh, do you see, maybe Mark does, the reflection off of the Salesforce tower? I, I was literally about to get up yep. out of my seat mm-hmm. and shut the blinds. Yeah. Which I is glorious. It. And now I can't see it because my eyes are shot now. My corneas are burned out. Been a while. You want to lead off the morning checkdown so I can shut the blinds? Little, sure. The morning checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, Ball State, by the way, taking on Illinois State. That's going to be this Saturday at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, part of the... Uh, Indy Classic, that is the first game. Purdue and Davidson, game number two. Indiana and Kansas. In Lawrence, Kansas, that game tips, I believe, at noon on Saturday. But Gamebridge Fieldhouse last night was the site for the Pacers and the Warriors, 125-119. Indiana the winner. Tyrese Halliburton had 29. Benedict Matherin, 24 for the home team. Mark? Oh, In my opinion, that sucked. That's not what I wanted. So wise, usually. What do you have? I mean, what do you mean? The, the Pacers, Pacers won the last night. <laughs> Gosh. I fired the wrong one. That's okay. Usually, that one I have that ready because I'm. I never know when a Jake pun is coming. Wait, so. Someone had Golden State plus one and a half did, last actually. night. I Jeez, the real story comes out. It's okay. It's only five bucks. Uh, Thursday night football tonight. It'll be the 49ers and Seahawks. You got two teams right now. In the playoffs for the NFC, the 49ers, of course, leading the NFC West. The Seahawks at 7-6. and six. Game is in Seattle. San Francisco, a slight favorite, three and a half points. Uh, They're hot. Probably the hottest team in the NFL, uh, particularly in the NFC right now with how well they have played. Looking ahead to this weekend slate on Saturday. Again, Colts and Vikings at 1. Ravens-Browns at 4.30. Dolphins-Bills at 8.15. Those are all on NFL Network. Colts-Vikings will air here locally on Fox 59. There are a ton of uh, matchups, if you don't mind me saying. Yeah, the national audience is probably like, no more Colts on national TV. Well, they're coming the next two weeks. So. Uh, World Cup final is set. It will be Argentina. It will be France. That takes place exactly when? Do you guys know? Sunday morning at 10. Okay. And then third place game, Croatia and Morocco the day before. Yeah, Imagine Saturday morning at 10. The third place game, like it's kind of like now, there's some money involved and stuff, so there's there's worth playing. I assume for Morocco, it'd be a pretty big deal. They had some chances yesterday. Did you watch any of that, Jake? France won dos uh, nil, but <laughs> Morocco had several chances. Now wait a minute. If it was France and Morocco, right? Yes. It would. Wouldn't that be a duh nil? See, I knew I had this ready. In my opinion, that sucked. You are. What? I'm yeah. just saying. I knew they I don't speak Spanish in France Way to be or, prepared. or Morocco. Mark. They That's speak right. French. On top of it, as always, Mark Dykton. Uh, Colts injury report for anyone that cares. Accurate. For Saturday. They're down two corners so far. Brandon Faison has been out due to illness this week. Kenny Moore looks like he's going to miss another game with that ankle injury. Mike Strawn uh, appeared to suffer concussion in practice. On Tuesday, he did not practice yesterday. Uh, today's the final practice of the week. Again, with the Saturday game, everything gets bumped up a day, so it looks like 
Uh, the Colts could be down again. Kenny Moore, the Vikings appear to be pretty healthy. Look to be getting a couple offensive linemen back. But as Ross Tucker said, this Vikings defense has been horrible as of late. They are the worst passing defense in the NFL. They've allowed at least 400 yards of total offense in each of the last five games. And their run game with Dalvin Cook has been the worst in the NFL over the past month and a half. By the way, you said the third place World Cup match is who again, Mark? Croatia and Morocco. Okay, can you tell me what Croatia and Morocco then would have in common with Virginia and Louisiana State? I couldn't tell you. Wouldn't even know. Venture Kevin, do you guess. know? I, I do not know, no. Uh, in 1981, Virginia defeated LSU 78-74 in the Final Four. Of course, Indiana won the national title that year in Philadelphia over North Carolina. But Virginia-LSU played the final national third-place game, consolation game, in Final Four history. How big a buzzkill would that be? You lose in the Final Four, and you got to come back and play a third-place game. Yeah. It strikes me Morocco will be pretty pumped for this one, though. You think so? Croatia was the runner-up, though, last year, or mm-hmm. last time the World yep. Cup was held. France, the defending champ. If they win, they'd be the first defending champ to win since Brazil in 1962. Is, is France the only nation to win the World Cup in their home country? Because didn't they win it when it was in France? Uh, was it in France last time? I thought it was like in Russia or something. No, like in no, 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 not last. Like in ninety. Oh no! You know what? Now that I think about it, in '94 it was here. Who won when it was here in '94? It's called Brazil. I don't remember. Germany. I thought France won it in either in '98, maybe in France. I could be wrong. I mean, my soccer. Brazil yeah, sure. won it in '94 when it was in the U.S. Okay, who won it in '98? '98. Mm-hmm. Riveting radio yeah, here. That was France. Where was the World Cup? What, what was the host nation in 1998? <laughs> this is great. This is the good. tournament host country was France in 1998. Okay, who was the champion? Would that be France in 98, yeah. did you say? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm retired. Six team, Thank you. Six teams have won in their home country. Six, okay. Cup. Well, yep. so then France was the most recent then, right? Okay, the soccer people that say I don't know anything about soccer can put that in their little pipe and smoke it. I, I knew in 98, France won in France. Okay. That was maybe that could be at the pop quiz. Is Scotty Man, we're gonna have tons of callers for the pop quiz after that one. Three one seven two three nine ten seven. Listening, we are giving away a pair of tickets to Ball State Georgia Southern. That's coming up on Wednesday up at a Worthen Arena in Muncie. So give us a call right now, and you can win a pair of tickets to see Michael Lewis and the Cardinals coming up on Wednesday. Kevin and Court. Need. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You handle the pressure. Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. All right, Mark Dykton's been lining up callers here for the Pop Quiz. Thanks again to Jiffy Lube for their uh, help. Anything else we're giving away, Mark? Ball State State basketball tickets, correct? Yep. All right. Pair of tickets to them in Georgia Southern. Wednesday. Mm-hmm.
Is there a Georgia Northern? Do we know? Let's that's, try to stay on track here. That's the educate and entertain aspect of our show. We'd have to do some research there, like we just did with the World Cup for 10 minutes. Um, all right, uh, number one through eight, Jake. Uh, we'll go with six. Six, Clay. Clay. Hi, good morning. Clay, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Clay, you ever seen Sing 2, the movie? I have not. <laughs> There's a lion in the movie named Clay Calloway that my daughter's favorite character Mark, you a Sing 2 guy? I've never so seen Sing 1. I'd be lost. Clay, where did you go to middle school? Say it again, school? Clay. Where did I go to middle school? Yeah. Shenandoah in Middletown. Okay. Did you ever play Clay? That would have been fun, right? <laughs> yeah. I used to get Clay Aiken all the time, so I'm glad he, he, he kind of went away from the picture. <laughs> wow, I forgot about oh that dude, man. That's probably a good thing that he went away, right? <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, wow. So you went to Shenandoah High School, obviously, right? I did. See the big brain on me? Uh, and Clay, do you live in Indianapolis now, or do you still live in that area? Uh, no, I live in Nobleville. Okay. Just outside. Okay, fair enough. Um, Clay, would you like for me, that would be Jake, or would you like for Kevin to lead you off with question number one? Either one. I don't care. Wow. Clay, do you like Forest Park? Um, yeah, they're okay. <laughs> well, no, I, I I met the place in Noblesville where you can like oh, jump off a high know. dive and sled yeah, and yeah. play golf. Forest Park is great, yeah. For great. municipal course. Great spot. I love the first tee there at Forest Park. Um, all right, Jake, why don't you lead us off? All right, speaking of uh, first tee, this one teeing off easily. Question number one, Pacers last night beat the Golden State Warriors, but who was the game's leading scorer? Was it Tyrese Halliburton? What's that? I'm going to get Halliburton. Uh, please wait for all possible answers. Tyrese Halliburton, Jordan Poole, Benedict Matherin, or Stephen Curry? Oh, I'm going to say Stephen Curry. Okay. All right, number two, Clay. France defeated Morocco, dos nil, yesterday, and they'll face Argentina in Sunday's World Cup final. France is the defending World Cup champion, as we've mentioned several times in the show today. Name the last country to win back-to-back World Cups. A, Brazil. B, West Germany. C, Italy. D, it's never happened. I'm going to say A. I was really hoping he'd be like, well, I've listened for all two and a half hours so far, and I know that you've said Brazil (laughs) 13 times, so I'm going to go with that. Clay, is it safe to say that the French Open is your favorite of the tennis Grand Slams? What, Mark? Uh, No, it'd be Wimbledon, actually. Really? (laughs) I thought you would have liked the one that's on Clay. He he really didn't like that joke too much, did he? Well, there's In my opinion, that sucks. Question number three. Marcus Jones of the Patriots has a receiving touchdown, a punt return touchdown, and an interception this season. Name the only other player in the Super Bowl era, that would be since 1966, with a receiving TD, a punt return TD, and an interception in the same season. Devin Hester, Troy Brown, Deion Sanders, or Roy Green? Well, I was sitting here thinking Deion Sanders, so I wouldn't say Deion Okay. All right, number four. On this day in 1973, Tennessee defeated Temple 11-6. Man, what a game. A rather tough defensive football game. No, this was a men's college basketball game. It wouldn't be until 1986 that the NCAA instituted a shot clock in college hoops. How much time was on the shot clock during the first season? 60 seconds, 45 seconds, 30, or 24? Uh, I'm going to say 60 seconds. 
Okay, question number five. That still doesn't bode well that they still I mean, that is that is incredible. Unbelievable. Was John Chaney at Temple then? Dean Smith loved it. All right, question number five. Today marks the 97th anniversary of the first hockey game being played in what legendary arena? The Montreal Forum, Chicago Stadium, Maple Leaf Gardens, or Madison Square Garden? Uh, I'm going to say Maple Leaf. It's a pretty good guess. Actually, no, I'm going to say Madison Square Garden. Even better guess. Wow. Okay, Clay. You're a smart fella. Hang on the air, uh, Clay. We'll get you tickets either way. Boy, nothing says you didn't go five for five like well, that. Well, no, I'm just saying that the, the one guy who did win earlier hung Burst up his the bubble other day, there. so he didn't call back. Pacers knock off the Warriors last night. The leading score despite not playing in the fourth quarter. It was Steph Curry. Let's go! 27 in the first half, 38 overall. It was Brazil in 1958 yeah. and 1962, the last country to win back-to-back World Cups. Yeah, Clay was all over number three here. The only player in Super Bowl era with a receiving TD, punt return TD, and INT in the same season, Dion. That is correct. Did I see Tyree Kill is the first player in NFL history to have a punt return, kick return, receiving touchdown, rushing touchdown, and fumble return for a touchdown. Yeah, I guess he did add fumble return last week, didn't he? So I was playing him in fantasy football. I'm like, did that just happen? Looked like a rugby scrum. Uh, question number four. Speaking of prime time, Deion Sanders, he went with 60 seconds for the shot clock. That was not the prime time at the time. 45 seconds was the initial shot clock in 1980. Madison Square Garden was correct. Not a bad You don't get to come back tomorrow. You don't even get a lousy copy of our home game. You're a complete loser. (laughs) Well, it uh, it was fun while it lasted. Hey, he did better than deserving the Tristan Thompson reference. Oh, it was fun while it lasted. You didn't enjoy our time with Clay? Jake sure did with all the Clay puns he used. Did you uh, have this feeling last night, Jake? And I don't know, maybe because I need the Pacers to win 30 games. I had this feeling. But when Steph hit that three to end the first half, it cut it to 20, which I get that it's still 20. But I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, they're going to make a run in the third quarter. Oh, I mean, you know, a lot of times you see a team, though... Like, Curry just has that impact on him. He does. But you you do see, a lot of times, if a team's up big, and somebody comes roaring back, and they get it down to about three or five, if you can stave it off, then suddenly that lead usually grows back to about halfway back again. Because teams exert so much energy to be able to, to make up that spot. So it went from five back to like 13, and then the Pacers just kind of held on. Uh, late in the game, though, it did Golden feel like... Golden State made like, a couple more runs, I though. Know, late in the game, I said, you know, oh boy, I'm worried this is going to be Brooklyn all over again. Big call overturn with Miles Turner, big block for him. Nemhard again, made some big plays late, and the Pacers held on 125-119. Um, Will Haskett, you've heard him on these airwaves before talking golf. He's got some basketball coming up on Saturday. He also has another... Christmas gift idea for us out there that are straggling a little bit here with about 10 days to go before Christmas. We'll talk about that with Will next. Kevin and Corey. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jacob, I guess the answer is no, but did you watch any of the match on Saturday? Tiger Woods, Roy McIlroy, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth? Uh, Regent Bryan would be thrilled to know that I watched about 90% of it because 
it's what I do. I assume that's a joke. No. No, I watched. You watched that over IU Arizona? I watched both. Split screen. It's 2022, Kevin. Take that. And your thoughts on the match? Scintillating. I it was it reminded me a lot of Indiana Arizona. Like you know, you, it, one one just got out to a lead. You you kind of felt like a run was coming, some momentum. Um, just couldn't get in the swing. It's great. Will Haskett's our next guest. I have a feeling he was probably tuned in a little bit, and he's got a nice Christmas gift idea for us. We are into the holiday season. He's also going to be on the call this Saturday over Gamebridge Fieldhouse for Ball State. And Illinois State, he joins us now. Will, were you tuned into the match at all on Saturday? I would concur with Jake. I did the same thing. Uh, both of them were sort of dominant early, and you were like, uh, "This is not going to go See? well." I don't See? think for the See? team trying to come back. It was. It, it was. I was. I don't have split screen. I don't know what happened. We used to have more cable functionality with split screen. I don't have. We used anymore. to have PIP, right? Yeah, yeah, picture in picture. Yeah. I don't you know, have that anymore. What happened to that technology? Well, technology is the key here, right? Because if you take technology and data, I don't know a lot about that. Math, I know a little bit about now because I finally finished algebra. Thank goodness I'll never um, have to use it. But uh, your book, though, The Science of Golf, The Math, Technology, and Data, is out now. It's available on Amazon. And I'm curious, Will, how this came about. I know of your obvious your interest and your love for the game of golf, but take me kind of behind the scenes of how this book all came about. Yeah, well, thank you, Jake. It's a great holiday gift idea for the golfer in your world, so I appreciate you guys giving me uh, the sales pitch here today. Yeah, I mean, I've been on tour coming up this year. It'll be my 10th year broadcasting golf on the PGA Tour, and while I grew up playing golf here in central Indiana, worked in the industry, and felt like I sort of knew it, when I got out on the PGA Tour, I just realized the learning curve was so great to figure out what these guys do, and I had a podcast for four years that kind of explored my own fascination in all of these different areas of I guess ways as a play-by-play announcer, I've always sort of approached learning about whatever the sport is. I've always been a big kind of stats guy. I think that stats can help tell the story if you use them in the right context. And then in golf, there's just so much technology involved. There's so much uh, advancement, I think, in the scientific areas of the sport over the last quarter century. And so I learned from a lot of the guys that are on these teams of these top players around the world. And then I was approached to write a book. And, you know, our buddy Will Carroll wrote The Science of Football same publisher they kind of approached me and said hey would you be able to do the golf book and i took it as a challenge and and um it was really a culmination of a lot of stuff that i've learned so i don't think there's a sport in the world that has as much science involved in it as golf and so this book is kind of a ten thousand foot view of all of those different scientific elements so whether you want to become a better golfer or you just want to understand the sport that you're watching on tv a little bit better I'd like to think it's a resource that you can kind of pick up and put back down and whenever you want to sort of learn something from it. So I appreciate the uh, the forum. And again, yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere books are sold online. Well, do you think that golfers, you know, I could see a guy like Tiger Woods, for example. Golf is such an analytical sport, and, like, I think it's such a mental sport for so many people. Do you think some of the greats have, in fact, studied the scientific nature of it, the the velocity, the ang- angles, obviously, are important. Sure. But how you know how much behind the scenes of just practicing on the links do you think some of the best have done? I think whatever was available to them in their moments, the best have always been trying to leverage. It's just with all of the advancement of technology and how we track the golf ball and how we measure shots now and in my opinion the most important scientific advancement in the sport has been the advent of launch monitor technology over the last 20 years so trackman probably the most popular brand name of the ones that are out there but there are multiple different ones and it's 
it sort of reverse engineered how the game was taught. So while Jack Nicholas probably thought that something he was doing in his setup then led to what the golf ball was doing, we now sort of reverse it backwards and say, well, as long as the golf ball is doing what it's optimized to do, then the means justify the ends as opposed to sort of the other way around. Uh, well, actually, I guess now today it's the ends justify the means, whereas before you were trying to build your swing to justify, you know, consistency. So I think the best always knew it. And I think we can also look back anecdotally and, and look and what stats and the lasers and everything have taught us is that longer is, al- is always better. And it's changed the way the modern game is played. But when we look back through time, the best golfers of their generation, Jack, Arnie, Sevy swung out of his shoes. Greg Norman was the longest by far. Like length always mattered. We just now have the data to sort of prove what that length does. And, and I think it validates a lot of the feel. I don't think it's taken away feel. I think it validates what guys feel at the highest levels. Again, it's the science of golf. Will Haskett um, <clears throat> has written that book and available wherever you can find books. Will, would you say it's a little bit more nerding out on like the swing and how to play the game of golf or more nerding out on the numbers around professional golf? Probably more the latter, um, but it's everything in it is about what golf is. So if you're a 30 handicapper, what the golf ball is doing when it makes contact with the face of the club, I mean, there's an entire chapter on grass. I mean, grass and wind and elements and weather and how golf courses are designed, the golf ball, the golf clubs, it's all sort of in there. And, and I, what I do is I do use a lot of anecdotal um, discussions about what the PGA Tours best are doing. So I'm most fascinated these days in psychology. I think what these guys are doing to leverage their minds and to try and be their sharpest, and we hear the word process used a lot, and we actually break down in the book what the science of process means, what it actually does to balance the brain waves, which then leads to a stronger swing. And that can be done by anybody if you sort of walk your way through it. But, you know, we talk about it through the framework of Phil Mickelson winning the PGA Championship at nearly 51 years old. And that was a incredible case study in one man's mental toughness that week and what he practiced and then was able to do. And yes, physically he had to golf shots. But the reflection back on it is so much of the mental side of it. So, again, is it an instruction manual on how to be a better golfer? No, but do you learn something from every chapter that might help in your particular game? Yeah, it's, it's, I think the stuff that I've learned over the last decade has made me a more aware golfer of a sport that I've played since I was 12 years old. Will, is our uh, next big domino on the Live Golf PGA Tour front what the major championships decide to do in inviting the live golf players or not i think the biggest domino to fall is that we're going to court in the early stages of 2023 so you know will the antitrust and the suits have been brought back and forth against each other will it sort of force the hand of you know is the tour in violation of banning these guys coming back but at this point in time i think everybody sort of made their decision where they're going to play we may have one guy here or there that goes there's always a rumor every week it sort of feels like uh i think the majors have done a pretty decent job of just sort of letting it all play out Um, And if they don't adjust their criteria, the the biggest thing hurting live right now is there still isn't an immediate pathway to world golf ranking points. So I think the Dustin Johnsons and Patrick Reeds of the world will be invited to play the masters. They're past champions. I just don't see the Augusta going away from that. But most of the rest of the guys on live at the end of this year, uh, a lot of them are falling out of the top 50. So if you didn't already have a pathway there, um, you're probably not going to get that invitation because you're not in the top 50. So I think it's worked itself out a little bit in that regard. Uh, but we'll wait and see what the courts say about uh, the legal standings of both 
suing one another. But I think we're now in, I honestly think we're in the long haul. I think it's going to be a couple of years until we see either side actually blink. And we're just going to have to exist in this space where there's multiple you know, places to go watch the best players play golf against each other. Will, in terms of, as you were talking about, Will Haskett is our guest on the Payless Liggers Hotline. When you were talking about athletes preparing for competition and how sometimes you incorporate that into play-by-play, you'll be doing play-by-play this Saturday, Ball State, Illinois State. You'll be on that call, the first of two for the Indy Classic at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Game tips at 3.30. In the preparation that you might have gotten to at this point, what jumps out at you about Michael Lewis's team and what they might see in Illinois State? Yeah, you know, it's it's you know two programs, first-year head coaches, good friends. Brian Peden and Michael Lewis overlapped by a year's assistance at Butler and have stayed in touch. So I think that, to me, is the most fascinating, is watching how these programs, about 10 games each into their seasons, are sort of taking on the early marching orders of both of their coaches. I think that Coach Lewis has certainly got some weapons. I, I like the sort of the makeup of that team up in, in Muncie, uh, whereas you know Coach Peden really had to turn over a lot of the roster, had to hit the portal pretty hard to, to fill some gaps and some guys that left in terms of that transition. So. I like the scoring. I like there's a couple. I like a couple of the Cardinals in terms of, of where they are from a balance standpoint. I think that's going to be the biggest challenge. But both teams come in on winning streaks. Um, Illinois State's won three in a row, and they're scoring the ball really well at this stage of it. I think it's going to be a really fun matchup because both teams are getting ready for the holiday. Both teams are getting ready for conference play, and you've got two coaches that have just such a great friendship and respect for one another. I, I kind of want to see them let it all go. Like I, I think it could be a really fun sort of Let's put everything on the table and just sort of see what the best we can get out of this team that we, well, we know them. Because it's, it's right now it's a learning experience, I think, for everybody involved trying to establish culture in their first years. Will, we only got about a minute left. Um, your expectations for Tiger Woods in 2023 on the golf course? Uh, maybe we see him in four majors. Um, I, th- I think he's done a pretty good job of managing those expectations. He wants to play the majors, and if his body allows him to walk, 72 holes and maybe we see him at one or two other uh tournaments that are sort of associated with him riviera uh one or two others so my expectations would be four times he tees it up in majors and if that happens it's a success get a little father-son action right this weekend with tiger yeah charlie has to step back a tee box he's got to play i think he's at the same tee box where john daly is playing from so yeah charlie's hitting it uh, far enough now they deem he has to play from 6800 yards so we'll see if that affects team woods Again, the science of golf. Will Haskett, you've heard him on these airwaves throughout the year. Uh, Will, thank you for coming on, and uh, as always, uh, enjoy your insight. Enjoy your mid-morning nap, guys. That's, that's Will Haskett uh-huh. right there. Uh, Jake, I assume that'll be in the stocking for you? The mid-morning the nap? Oh, absolutely, yeah. D- daily gift. Science uh, no, and golf, two of your favorite things, my, right? No, my dad will love the book. Um, by the way, it's going to be the year 2050, Kevin. You're going to be doing this show. You're going to be asking three questions. Uh, when does the red line get finished? When is Chris Ballard going to draft a quarterback? And how's Tiger Woods going to do this year? Right? <laughs> I'm excited to watch Tiger this weekend. Is the sun too much in the limelight? Or is that just part of your last name? Like What's that? Same thing with LeBron's kid. Tiger's kid too much in the limelight? Um, or that's just, you know, welcome to what... Uh, Peyton Manning's son will be in five years when he plays high school football. It's interesting because that's what Tiger grew up with. And it also might have been part of his downfall. Fad Mata, 9 o'clock tomorrow. Everybody have a great day.